You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all the cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. Uh, But this is a special episode where we're actually not really going to be talking much about news or rumors or anything. Um, Instead, we're going to start a special series of episodes for this year where we are going through and doing audio commentaries on all the Star Wars movies. So, welcome to the first Saga Continues movie commentary for The Phantom Menace. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-hosts, Tim and Paul, with me. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? I'm excited excited to take a trip back into 1999 and watch The Phantom Menace with you guys. This is going to be a lot of fun. And... It's really crazy to me that this basically came out 20 years ago. Oh yeah. my gosh, that is weirding me out. I was a junior in high school. But you were came a junior out. in high school? Mm-hmm. And I was eight years old. I hate your gut. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a feeling we're going to be feeling real old throughout this commentary, Paul. <laughs> that, that is that is accurate. Yeah. Is very, well, you yeah. know what? You, you guys, the listeners, will get uh, a little bit of a range of perspectives as far as uh, what that our take on the movie was when it first came out. So, um, now I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Like you said, this can kind of act as a 20th anniversary celebration for The Phantom Menace. Um, also, of course, this is the year that Episode Nine comes out and completes the Skywalker saga. So uh, that's kind of why we wanted to start doing these uh, early in the year and try to work our way all the way up to episode eight and get through that before episode nine comes out. Um, so it'll kind of be a year long celebration of the entire saga. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. I've never done this before. Um, you know, just doing a, an audio commentary and also I've never gotten to, I don't think ever gotten to sit down and watch a star Wars movie with either of you guys. So um, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, no, you know what? Tim, and I don't know if this really counts, but uh, the day of my wedding, and Tim was there with all the groomsmen, and we were watching uh, Return of the Jedi in the hotel room. Uh, doesn't work. Doesn't count. But yeah, no, I mean, we haven't like sat down. And don't get me wrong, that was awesome. Um, that that just happened to be like on TV as we were channel mm-hmm. flipping and kind of just hanging out before we got ready. So that was that was cool. But you know, obviously, we haven't intentionally like sat down and been like, hey, let's watch a Star Wars movie together. So. Um, obviously we're not all in the same room or anything now, but, um, you know, so it's going to be fun to, uh, to get to watch it all at the same time and get to talk through it with you guys. And, uh, hopefully we'll get some good discussions going and some, uh, some fun commentary. Um, before we dive into it, 
just real quick bit of news that we had to mention. Speaking of Episode 9, um, of course, I think it was just yesterday the announcement came out that Episode 9 is done filming. J.J. Um, Abrams made the big announcement out on social media, uh, along with a photo of, uh, you know, Ray and Finn and Poe all hugging each other. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, so we're, we're that much closer to getting to see Episode 9 production is wrapped um, they're done filming and now we wait, uh, you know, for our first trailer at Celebration, which I know you guys have been saying this and I'm starting to agree with you that that's probably when we're going to get the title now because there was no title announcement to go along with the end of production announcement. Um, so I know a lot of people are still eagerly awaiting that, but I mean, Celebration's just a couple months away, so that might just be, uh, when we get the title along with the first trailer, but, um... Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, it was cool news to get. I mean, it was kind of something we were expecting to get at any time now, but it was done a little differently from what I'm remembering with Force Awakens The Last Jedi, because with those, I believe it was like a press release posted on StarWars.com, and this was just a tweet from J.J. Abrams saying, you know, how surreal it is that it feels impossible he's already done filming episode nine. Like I said, they showed that picture um, mm -hmm. with Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and um oscar isaac uh on a desert planet which you know we're not going to go into a lot of speculation on a commentary episode but wondering tatooine jakku i don't know but they're back in the desert that's for sure but yeah i was expecting once we got the announcement that production is wrapped that a title would be in that announcement as well but like you said nothing so i just as you brought up on our last episode paul how you're expecting it to be at celebration i'm kind of firmly believing that now i think maybe there's a chance this coming week or maybe they'll announce it where you know it's not too long after jj announced that they wrapped filming that they released the title but i think if we don't get anything this week uh, might as well just wait till celebration if it were up to me because it's not going to be that much longer now and it would just be a cool way to get the title with the teaser like we talked about in the last episode so yeah just cool to know that it is officially wrapped and i believe i've been seeing posting tweets about uh, the rap party happening tonight with the cast and crew. So that's going on. So yeah, just one step closer to episode nine. So just good to know that one big hurdle is over. Now uh, we just got to wait to see some footage. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, not really a whole lot to dissect or speculate about there, but, um, you know, we can talk a little bit more about that image and speculating where that might be taking place and stuff like that uh, on our next regular episode. Um, and, you know, also they, they made an announcement about Force Friday, uh, for this year and some of the stuff that's going to be coming out with that. So, uh, a little bit of news to talk about on our next episode and, you know, hopefully maybe we'll get a little bit more before then, uh, whenever that may be, probably in the next couple of weeks or so. But, uh, for now, I say let's, uh, get started with The Phantom Menace, shall we? Yes, let's do it. Let's go let's back to where it. it all began. Yeah, and for those of you, you know, listening, um, you know, I don't know if you guys are going to just listen to this uh, as a podcast like you normally would if you're going to, you know, listen to it in the car on your way to work or whatever. Um, but if you like, feel free to, uh, you know, put the movie in, grab a drink, grab some popcorn and sit down and watch this along with us. Um, and, you know, you can listen to our commentary uh, along with the movie. Um, and kind of have that as a, a commentary track to go with the movie if you want. Um, it's up to you. Either way, hope you guys enjoy it. Um, but I say we go ahead and get started. Uh, we'll Wait, do, um, uh, really fast. We're starting at zero, 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 
and then you should have like at the very beginning of the movie and you should have at a 216 people so go ahead and start it up pause it and we're all gonna and we're in, Kyle's gonna count us in correct Kyle okay yeah you're right Paul and we actually just had to edit out a, uh, a little misstep here so for those of you listening along if you're trying to watch the movie with us and and listen along with this uh, we skipped past the um, the opening like 20th Century Fox home video logo and stuff if you're watching on Blu-ray. Um, so just because, you know, some people might have different versions of the Blu-ray or be watching on DVD or the digital download or whatever. Um, so skip all that opening intro stuff and then start at zero out of 216 on the actual main movie chapter. Um, that's what Paul was talking about at first. Tim and I didn't realize what was going on. But now we're, we're <laughs> fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. Um, okay. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm, I'm, we're, we're all good now. Um, <laughs> okay. So let's do this thing on Punch It. Ready? Three, two, one, Punch It. Now, I think we're officially off. Yeah, there we go. The classic 20th Century Fox. Yeah, yeah. And as we were just saying... Uh, wondering if we'll get that 20th Century Fox logo back in front of the movies now, um, now that Disney is buying Fox. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I think we've kind of gotten used to it without it now. Yeah. yeah I, I have. For, think about it. Like we had six movies with, with it. Um, and now we've had four without it. So it's, it's almost even Steven at this point. So yeah, I, I don't think we need it. Yeah. Well, I got I got to say, I know episode one is kind of a lightning rod for a lot of people. And for for me, when this movie came out, the anticipation for this movie was just insane. I, yeah. I've, I've, I've gone on podcasts before. I think we, we talked about it, at least, Tim, how I I didn't have the Internet for a long time because this is like, you know, when this movie was coming out, the Internet was just starting to kind of really get like legit. Mm-hmm. And well, it was the I, first trailer to get posted on the internet. Right. Well, even the, te- I'm talking about the teaser with wing commander. I didn't even see that. I don't think, uh, cause I had no idea it was even out and I just wasn't really tied into the, the fandom as much at that point. Um, because I was just doing music and, and I was kind of had other interests at the time. And then once I realized like, Oh, they're filming and they got, they got people cast and, or not, or the new people they, they had cast people in the movie, but I realized, oh man, I see people people in costume now. I started freaking out a little bit more, and when the tr- the, the actual first trailer hit, I was like, what the? And I was immediately just ready to go. I remember buying Time Magazine special for it. I think like uh, I think like the the special ep- the special issue for it. I was just super jazzed, and you know, I say what you want with the Phantom Menace, uh, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll talk about our initial reactions throughout the film, but I got to say that I'll never forget that opening night with my brother. Uh, we went and saw it, and I was just so, just everyone, the, the, the energy was electric, it, more electric than it was for um, for the Phantom, or excuse me, for The Force Awakens, for, you know, I think it was, it was, it will never be matched, the energy of that room in that mm-hmm. theater that I had for The Phantom Menace when then we all first saw this movie. No, I agree. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about first reactions to it and stuff. I mean, and and you mentioned the the Phantom, Phantom Menace obviously being a polarizing movie. Um, needless to say, but also if you guys have listened to us for any length of time, you probably know we all are lovers, or at the very least, appreciators of the prequels. And so this is not going to be 
uh, you know, a whole two hours of dragging Jar Jar Binks through the mud. I think, you know, we can no. agree there's a lot to love about this movie. Um, yeah, far and, from and probably some stuff we'll critique too. Um, I mean, honestly, for me, this is probably my least favorite Star Wars movie, but it's still a Star Wars movie and part of You're my favorite insane. franchise of all time. And, you know, I, I still love it. So, um, it's, it's funny, Kyle, because, you know, when I first saw this, it, you know, Attack of the Clones and the Phantom Menace were definitely movies that I just didn't really connect to it right away. But over the years, the Phantom Menace, I feel, has actually um, gotten better with age. Uh, it, it's it's aged really, really well, I think. And every time I watch it, I'm like, man, I just I love I love the opening. Like right now we have Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon being introduced and it's just it's great. And it's really interesting to see how young Obi-Wan is introduced in the saga, like in, mm. in, in retrospect, it's really, really fascinating considering now, not just revenge of the Sith and attack of the clones, but of the clone wars, you know, where he's headed. Like uh-huh. he's like all the adventures he has and, and that it's, it's really, it's really crazy to see him at this young age that we start, we start off at. And it's, it's interesting. I love at the time you kind of questioned George on it, but now it makes way more sense. And again, I go back to that whole idea of introducing a young Obi-Wan was weird and out of kind of, you know, what I wasn't expecting at the same time in retrospect, it's aged really well. And I love the fact that he's done that. Yeah. And even as I was getting excited for the movie, knowing that, you know, we're going to see a young Obi-Wan, but even I agree like you, Paul, it was surprising that, you know, once we learned Liam Neeson was going to be in the movie, he was going to be Obi-Wan's master and Obi-Wan was the apprentice. That was kind of surprising. I thought, okay, you know, it would be about a young Obi-Wan, but it would be him as the young Jedi master with Anakin. I thought that's how it was going to begin the prequel trilogy. So it was a little bit of surprise, but I just remember as even before the movie came out and subsequent viewings of it afterwards, just I would watch A New Hope during like the year of 1998 or 1999, knowing the Phantom Menace is coming and seeing how Ewan McGregor looked as Obi-Wan, seeing him in the trailers. And then whenever I watch A New Hope and see Alec Guinness is Obi-Wan just thinking to myself how cool is it going to be I now have some context of what he's been up to in his past as a young man as a young Jedi even though I haven't seen the movie yet but even more so now that we got the prequel trilogy and the Clone Wars we know how this much of his history adds to his character when you watch it in A New Hope but Obi-Wan's always been one of my favorite characters but the prequel trilogy cement him as probably being my favorite character and it pretty much started right away in this movie in episode one Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think it's going to be a recurring theme over the course of these episodes as we're doing all these movie commentaries. Um, this, you know, for the, the first three doing the prequels, uh, this will not be the last time that we praise Ewan McGregor's performance mm-hmm, uh, yeah. by far. I mean, just such a perfect casting choice. Um, and not all Star Wars movies start off with action sequences, but I love it when they do. And I love this action sequence here with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Seeing them use lightsabers like never before, it was just amazing. It's, it's probably, it might be my favorite opening to a Star Wars movie. It's, it's fantastic. Up there, really? Yeah. I mean, well, think of it this way. When this movie came out, this is what we all wanted to see. Jedi and their element. And, and mm-hmm. George gave it to us. This is as right close away, as yeah. fan service oh, as I we're going to get right there. from George. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way and, they just work in harmony in their combat moves. Exactly. So cool. Yeah. No, and I, I definitely don't disagree that it's a cool opening. I mean, it's already cool for me to hear kind of you guys' take on this of like what you were expecting um, when, you know, the movie came out. Because like I said, for me, I was eight when this came out. I had really no preconceived expectations 
Um, I was going to say real quick right here. I love the music that plays when Kai Qui-Gon's turning his lightsaber to the door. It plays the Force name. Oh, just so cool. And right here is where I got my first taste of reshoots. <laughs> or got to find out what reshoots are all about. Because <laughs> Hugh McGregor doesn't quite look the same that we last saw him in a few shots. Do any of you guys have a problem with the force speed? Because I know it's become, like, I don't know if I should say become, but I know that is something that gets a lot of debate about as far as maybe being a little too overpowered sometimes. No, I yeah, never really I, had a problem was... with it. Um, it. I mean, I think the only thing that's maybe a little weird about it is the fact that you really never see it again. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of the only time that it's ever used. Um, by the way, sorry about that. I just had an audio issue that I had to fix. Um, sound much better by the way yeah I didn't realize I was on my internal microphone on my computer the whole time um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah now now it's all good as I was starting to say before that um, just you know it, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about like your expectations leading into the movie um, you know because I mean for me I, I was already a huge Star Wars fan when this movie came out I was super excited like I, I've been into Star Wars since I was like four um, and I was eight when this one came out but I didn't really have like the fan theories and sort of the preconceived notions I was still young enough that like I was just excited to go see a new Star Wars movie um, I, I specifically remember my dad showing me the trailer and seeing the little kid and I just assumed it was Luke Skywalker and my dad was like, no, no, no. And he played it again. And he's like, pay attention. And I had to listen to see like, wait, Anakin. Oh, wait, is that Darth Vader? Like, this is going to be about him. So, you know, I really like didn't really know what to expect going into it. Um, Kyle, can I, may, may I ask you a question? Yeah. Because you were close in age of Anakin at the time. How did you respond to Anakin in, initially in this movie? Well, I I was gonna get into that a little bit more later as oh, we I like, apologize. I apologize. once he's when he when he's introduced and stuff. Um, oh, we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait. There. Okay. I yeah. Apologize. We'll we'll save that discussion for when he's he's actually introduced. Um, right. But okay. uh, yeah, no, d definitely. I I definitely was planning to bring that up though because I I mean Anakin was my childhood hero aside from Luke. Uh, uh, like once this movie came out, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely get into that. Um, really quickly. Can I just say how weird it was to have the the the, vo the change of voice of Natalie Portman? I was from the just Twitter. gonna bring that up. Oh, <laughs> I'll never forget when when I first heard her talk and went, she sounds weird. What is she? What doesn't she sound like from the trailer? And then as you know, as the, we started hearing the lines from the trailer that I remember, like this one right here, yeah. I was like, what? What's going on? They changed her voice. No. <laughs> See, uh, and I, I don't say, even remember that. I will say, I think. Luke, that was kind of a mistake on Lucas's part. I think she sounded much better than what Agreed. she did in the trailer, yeah. more natural. I know mm -hmm. he was trying to do it to kind of throw you off a little bit for anyone who wasn't thinking that her and Padme were the same person. But it sounds, but there's two moments in this movie, I'll bring them out when we get to there, where they sound so much better in the trailer. One of them's with Padme and one of them's with Qui-Gon. <laughs> so I'll see if you guys agree with you or remember once we get to those. I already points. know one of them. I already know the one <laughs> at the end of the film, right? With Padme? Yeah. We are probably on the same page. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, we'll wait. I'll know. I'll call it out. And I don't even have to. I'll, I know exactly which one. <laughs> so, I was, 
in this moment, I love this environment of Naboo in the forest. Mm-hmm. And once we saw that, one of the first shots in the trailer right here with well, Qui-Gon's not there yet, but seeing all the forest animals run through and Qui-Gon running through the forest, I just remember going, oh, this looks like a really cool environment with Star Wars. It kind of looks like Endor, but there's a lot of creatures that we never saw in the original trilogy running around. This is going to be awesome. And I always still like how was part of Naboo looks. Mm-hmm. Think about if, if, if George had the CGI like he had in Phantom Menace, you know he would have put more creatures in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. would have the Gorax. You know, I have to say, like, people give the oh, prequel so much flack for, like, the overuse of CGI. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we can talk about that more with Episode 2 and 3. Obviously, those are way more digital and everything. But in The Phantom Menace, like, I think... Like this still holds up pretty well, and it's definitely not like an overuse yeah. of it. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, Jar Jar right here, he looks great still. Yeah, and blends really well with the. Uh, you know, obviously they're in an actual forest. This isn't like a CG environment. Um, but yeah, just uh, you know, there's still a lot of like practical sets and environments, and you know that blend are blended really well with a lot of the CGI elements. Um, well, and you know what? Just talking about Jar Jar too. Like, it, you know, we can talk a lot about him throughout the movie, too. Like, my reaction to, again, Jar Jar when I was eight years old, freaking loved him. And you talk about you guys, like, not realizing or, you know, not having, like, the all the internet community and stuff like we have now. Like, I didn't even realize until I was probably, you know, 13, 14, um, you know, and started getting exposed to, like, more Star Wars stuff on the internet and other people's opinions and stuff. Like, I was shocked when I realized, like, how many people didn't like Jar Jar and how many people didn't like these movies because, you know, just growing up and going through school and everything and being surrounded by, like, a bunch of kids my age, like, we all loved these movies. We all loved Jar Jar. Um, Heck, when I was that age, I would, like, you know, I Jar Jar was one of the first characters that I liked doing a, a voice impression of, and I would just quote him all the time. Um, probably to the annoyance of some people, you know, I now realize, but, um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I still think he's a, a fun character that obviously appeals more to kids. And I, I don't love him now as much as I used to, but like, I can never hate him as much as some people yeah, do just exactly. because of, just because of how much I loved him as a kid. Well, and, and I have to say that I, I did not like Jar Jar at first, but again, I've got to. I just kind of I've loosened up a little bit over the years and I, I don't mind him as much. I, I and I totally because of, of when you were like when you were a kid, Kyle, I appreciate the fact that like I can relate a little bit because I love the Ewoks and I didn't know people hated Ewoks until the Internet, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's a very common thing where mm-hmm. I thought people I thought Ewoks were cool. Like everyone liked Ewoks because they were Star Wars. And then I found out oh, I didn't like Return of the Jedi. I kind of and I remember I remember I was in a. Like either when my in high school or in my early twenties, I just kind of stare at people and go, "Are you insane? Really?" And kind of you're kind of shocked. And and the Ewoks were like the first Jar Jar, probably not as to that extent, but I'd say pretty be closer than people think. It seems like, but at the same time, I've just kind of chilled out about Jar Jar. And though I wish he was more of a warrior, I don't mind the comic relief. My only criticism of him is that at the very end of the film. He's more of a bungling, yep. you know, hero Wrong than he is like, there, a yeah. capable hero. That's I think that's the major problem that he did mm-hmm. because Chewie has moments of of uh, jokes and things like that. But Chewie's a you know he's a warrior, man. You don't mess with Chewie. You mm-hmm. know that even though he can be funny and goofy and give people big hugs and be like a big lovable teddy bear, you also don't want to piss him off because he'll tear off your arm. You know, so I mean, Jar Jar. I'm not saying Jar Jar should be like chopping people's arms off or anything like that, but 
I think that's the biggest problem that Lucas went with him. Not the fact that he's comical, it's the fact that made him he made him so non-threatening. That was the main problem. Not say he had to be like the Punisher or something, but oh yeah, you know, let's let's but give him a little bit more of a not an edge, but a little more he can he can handle himself in a fight. Yeah, make yeah. him more capable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Boss Nass, uh, I've always I've always liked this. This all looks great. I, this, again, the CGI and we talked before. I I the CGI is so great and and pioneering to me, and it it's just still like. It's amazing how it holds up still. I'm telling you, it looks I, great. Yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, I think we're all watching this on Blu-ray right now. Um, I don't, you guys, I, I don't think there's really much of a difference between the different Blu-ray versions that have come out anyways, aside from just the packaging. But I've yeah. got, you know, the box set that came out back in like 2011 or whatever. Um, but and it's been, I think, a little over a year since I've watched this movie. Um, and the last time I watched it, I watched it with uh, my kid sister-in-law who was you know we were introducing her to the movies for the first time so it was kind of more just you know lighthearted and fun and i wasn't really like paying attention to all the details and stuff um but yeah i'm like watching this on blu-ray like this looks really good and you would expect that like a sci-fi movie with a lot of cgi from 1999 you'd probably be like oh this looks really dated um but yeah i'm i'm surprised by how well this holds up i probably shouldn't say this but i never on my first viewing I never noticed Qui-Gon was using the Jedi mind trick on Boss Nass there on my first view. <laughs> he it does it such years. a casual way. It took years. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, being a little kid when this came out, I don't even remember if I caught that or not, but I'm sure I probably didn't. There's other moments in the trilogy, uh, even in the originals, like in Return of the Jedi, when Luke, uh, you know, tells 3PO, like, hey, tell them if you don't use your magic or if you if they don't give you what you want, you'll become angry and use your magic. And like it's Luke that's, you know, using the force to levitate 3PO and scare all the Ewoks. I don't think I even realized that as a kid. Um, and I watched it years later and was like, wait, what did I think of this as a kid? Because I like I don't know what I thought, but I definitely didn't think that um, like it probably just went over my head. So this is probably one of those same kind of situations. Sorry, I'm jumping. Love- I'm jumping way ahead there. I probably should have just saved that for Return it's of the fine. Jedi. But you know, it's a commentary. We're we're you know this is anything goes anarchy in, in Star Wars, man. <laughs> well, I'll just I want to bring dead up here than kind of- dead in decor. You got <laughs> what are Misa saying? <laughs> it's funny because I remember in the theater scene, like at this point in the movie, just thinking, man, this is pace kind of strange where it's really moving it's going at a real fast pace and i remember lucas kind of warning people about that where it starts off kind of strangely where it's throwing you all over the place it's like you're with certain characters at one point then you go back and forth and i really felt that on the first viewing where this is not paced as like the original trilogy movies were i'm not sure if i'm you know liking it but i've come to appreciate how it is now being 20 years old but did the pacing kind of throw you guys off like when you first saw it I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I was eight years old. I didn't <laughs> know I what I didn't know what off. movie pacing was. <laughs> I just knew that hey, there's Jedi and there's Jar Jar and they're in a sub and they're getting chased by a giant fish. This is all cool. Yeah. Well, to be honest, Tim, I think yeah, I think this was not anything close to what the other trilogy films were, and it's jarring at first. Yeah. You know, my my first viewing of this film, I didn't know what to think. And I remember I was I was doing like a church fundraiser for a car wash, and I we ended up me and my friend kind of bolted early to go see the movie again because I, I just had to see it again. I didn't have a license, didn't have very much money, but he wanted to see it really bad. I went, we ended up seeing it again that night, and I just being like, man, 
and I still didn't know what to think. And I and I I definitely was influenced by other people. I liked it more than other people, but I definitely criticized it. I didn't really mind the CGI as much as other people, but I definitely didn't like uh, Jar Jar and Anakin, which we'll get to Anakin later. But but yeah, like I the pacing is definitely a part of that. And I think now that we've gotten so many different films, Phantom Menace just fits kind of like it's it's it. it, it it's, it's Star Wars. And I think that's the biggest uh, testament to George Lucas and the prequel trilogy is that he followed up three, the, the master, I, I would say three of the most popular films ever in pop culture with a trilogy that was maybe not handled the same or excuse me, uh, re- recepted the same as the, the previous one, but as was, was, this is the, the genius of Lucas was he was able to still make it be Star Wars and it is now 100% accepted and even now is being given the second chance and people are are starting to soften up a little bit on it I think over the years I think I, I think honestly after more Star Wars films have been made by other people people are starting to see the value in this and in the value of the diversity that George kind of different films that George was trying to draw an influence from and the characters. And I think the Phantom Menace, and again, that's why I think the Phantom Menace is one of the better prequels of, I think to me, it's always, I'll, I'll spoil it right now. It's Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. For me, I know it's not the same on this, on this, uh, on this uh, roster here, but uh, for me, this, this film is just a great example, or the, the, the trilogy is a great example of, you may not, it may not be like what you what the previous was, but Lucas was able to still make it be a part of the original trilogy. And instead of it being like a, excuse this word, a a bastard uh, prequel, which a lot of people considered it to be, it's embraced and loved by, by all of star Wars fans for the most part. And they, you know what I mean? I mean, not for the most part, but you know what I mean? Like it's part of the canon. Definitely better than where it was. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I think people's, perception of it has softened over the years maybe not as much with the phantom menace i mean it'd be interesting to see like hopefully i mean maybe there'll be some more articles and stuff written about it this year like you know some kind of 20th anniversary retrospectives and stuff because i feel like you know obviously there's been a lot of hate for the prequels over the years um and i feel like we're in the middle of this thing now where i mean obviously there's a lot of hate directed at the new movies and especially the last jedi but at the same time a lot of people are kind of uh, shifting their perspectives on the prequels and are now kind of nostalgic for that era and being like, man, I miss those movies and I miss, you know, the games that came out during that time period and, and uh, you know, just the whole kind of prequel era. Um, and I think people are viewing it in a more positive light. But a lot of that seems to be, at least from my perspective, I, I see a lot more people talking about like episode two and episode three and the Clone Wars um, and that's sort of where a lot of the attention is focused when people talk about the prequel trilogy, like the Phantom Menace to me is like, I don't want to say it's disjointed, but it feels the most like separated from the rest of the saga. If that makes sense, like this well, almost, it's because of time jump. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, jump. I, there's a, obviously a bigger time jump. <laughs> it, they're walking down the palace steps on that boo right here. And I just realized how much it looks like playing that map in battlefront too. Like it's, ah, they did yeah. a, they did a perfect <laughs> recreation of the front of that palace. It's awesome. Like I saw, you know, just like the, the big statues on like the big square pillars on either side of that staircase. And I immediately was like looking for clone snipers hiding behind them. Um, <laughs> I play way too much battlefront. Uh, <laughs> um, 
I got to say, too, this whole action sequence is, I think, one of the more underrated ones in Star Wars. I love it. It kind of pops out of nowhere, but you get a cool one here, and then once they get to the hangar, just more great, cool lightsaber action that we haven't seen before in Star Wars at the time. Yeah. I always love this move by Obi-Wan right here. He just twirls the lightsaber. Remember, I was in the first teaser trailer, just going through that slow motion so much, seeing how many times he would flip his lightsaber. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But, oh, what I was saying, though, about just sort of the the disconnect um, and, you know, like you said, there there is a time jump here, but it feels I mean, it feels like a prologue. Like if this was, you know, just like a, a long book or something, it's or like a, a stage play or something like that. It's like uh, episode one would be like the prologue and then episode two and three would be like act one and then the original trilogy would be act two. Um, but this is really just kind of setting the stage for things that aren't really going to come to fruition for like years down the line. Um, but, um, I forget how I even got to talking about that in the first place, but, um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting to see, um, you know, how it sets up the events that are coming. But also I think this one, you know, more than definitely more than either of the other two prequels feels like its own kind of little standalone story. I think it works good, too, because we know this is episode one, the beginning of the Skywalker saga that starts with Anakin. But before we get to Anakin, I think it's cool that the saga has to get started in a place that and looks and feels totally different than we ever expected in Star Wars, starting in the droid control ship and then on Naboo, Otto Gunga just feels so different. But it starts to feel, I think, a little more like the Star Wars are used to once we get to Tatooine, once we get to meet Anakin and then it's kind of the, where the Skywalker saga kicks off. So I do kind of like, it does feel like something totally different to get us started in the story before we meet Anakin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, not to like harp on the new movies too much, but I mean, you can definitely see the contrast <laughs> of like the, just what you were talking about, Tim, the fact that this feels so different from the original trilogy and yet feels like Star Wars at the same time. Like, you know, Obviously, Lucas had a lot of big ideas for the prequel trilogy. They're flawed movies. He didn't perfectly execute all of his ideas, but he tried a lot of new things and he wanted to take it in new places. And he didn't really, you know, just lean on that fan nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he wasn't trying to be like, oh, let me make three more movies just to make a bunch of money and people will go see them because it's Star Wars and I'll just give people more of what they wanted from the original trilogy. He's like, no, I want to expand on this universe and expand on this story. And I think what I love most about the prequels, maybe not most about them, because I mean, I love just the main characters and I love the central story and the conflict. Um, But I love the world building. Um, and the, I mean, even though some of the stuff with like the Senate and the trade routes and all that kind of stuff is not the most exciting stuff in the world. And, you know, the Jedi council meetings and all that, like, does it make for exciting, compelling storytelling within a film? Not really, but as a star Wars fan, it does so much to just flesh Mm -hmm. out the universe and make you understand what's going on. Um, and I've said that a lot before too. Like, I really think that the prequels are movies made like for star Wars fans, um, you know, as as a casual moviegoer, you know, I think you could point out a lot more of the flaws or, you know, maybe just not be as into it. Although, I mean, there are a lot of like hardcore Star Wars fans, too, who grew up with the original trilogy and just were totally let down by the prequels. Um, but I think for me and a lot of people who appreciate them, it's like, there's a lot of stuff kind of hidden beneath the surface. And it's, again, it's a shame that some of that stuff wasn't better executed or sort of made more apparent, um, and fleshed out into like some, some more, 
compelling and and well done stuff within the movie. But like, it's like if you can accept the flaws and see past that and really, you know, get down into like some of the really good stuff that's there, you realize like, you know, as a fan, there's so much that you can dig into that just expands this universe and uh, just gives you, you know, so much more Star Wars goodness to to dissect and chew on. Totally. And by the I, way, great introduction to R2 that we just yeah. went through right here, him saving the day in the ship and then seeing all those droids get blasted. It was just a cool way to have R2 be the lone survivor and then, you know, well, start his long journey with the Skywalkers. Well, I, I have to say, I think Lucas did a great job of, ex- of kind of showing how, like, he was lucky he wasn't obliterated. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it also shows that he's, like, he, he was kind of chosen to be special kind mm-hmm. of a thing, you know? I, I like, I, it's funny. He did it in a very comical, yet kind of a, a, a cool way, I, I think, honestly. I, I like, and also what he does best, saving the day. He saves everybody all the time, and... It's he's a great, you know. I have, I'll say it now, even though we're like eight movies behind, he's he is so sorely missed in the sequel trilogy. But mm-hmm. that's a whole other podcast. Here we have the introduction to Darth Maul. Yep, yep that, uh, this I, got a I, huge I, cheer in the theater the first time. Yep. <laughs> and the, and also, one of the, the greatest, uh, what, uh, meme things ever. <laughs> no, not two of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh man great that's great and i also love how r2 here looks like he's just he's you know he's outside for like what five minutes and now he's like just covered in suit and, yeah. Stuff, yeah. and like and just like all like just dirtied up and you know he's like yeah that's right it's just been two minutes outside and look what i look, this look like i've been out barbecuing for like four hours straight <laughs> you know and yeah and this is the first time i realized their des- droids designation numbers are you know just listed on their outside <laughs> The shells there. We oh, never yeah. see it. Like, yeah, we never see it. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's apparently in there somewhere. It wasn't smudged by the dirt either for Panaka to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Panaka had no problem. It's kind of, it's uh, R2 D2, your highness. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have, it would have been better. It would have helped, kept the illusion a little better if he would have swiped something off maybe first. Yeah. Yeah, it almost felt like you should have winked at the camera too. It's yeah, (laughs) remember him as if he wasn't instantly recognizable. Yeah, (laughs) I'm gonna go ahead and say it now, and I know this is a very unpopular thing to say, but I'm I'm not a big Natalie Portman fan, and it wasn't because of this movie. In fact, I would say this is her best acted movie of the three films is this movie and I probably agree with that i i just think she phones it in the next two and it gets worse every film from there like i think two you could tell she really didn't want to be there she she did her best i she did she tried to be as interested as she could the third one you could tell her she just in the rumors of her and lucas not getting along they're just you know you could tell like they just she they, yeah he, you he try to write her out as much as possible you know yeah. But, but, well, and I mean, just given all the stuff that's going on going on in episode three, like Padme just doesn't have as big of an active role in the story anyways. Um, right. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can definitely see what you're getting at, though. Like, and I think a lot of it has to do with the writing, too. Um, you know, in episode two, whether you want to say she's phoning it in or just had bad material to work with. Um, 
which I mean, I think you can say for a lot of like the performances that are criticized, it's like how much of it is the actor's fault and how much of it is the material they were given to work with. I think that's one thing that we can all agree is a fault of the prequel trilogy is just some of the dialogue and some of the writing. Um, and but, you know, if I if I may defend the reason I'd always argue a little bit with that is that, yeah, but didn't really stop a lot of in the first movie with. Uh, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill, they killed their performances. They made that dialogue come alive. Even Harrison Ford, I mean, Harrison Ford's a legend. And that's kind of my thing is like, you can have bad work, but you can make it like at least like come across believable. That's your job as an actor. And quite, I think uh, Liam Neeson does an amazing job. Uh, we have, you know, Ewan McGregor doing an amazing job. I think, again, Natalie Portman does a good okay job in this movie. I feel like, and again, I'm not saying the script is great. But I think the actors elevate the material, and I don't think a lot of the actors. Are, and so again, if you're a good actor, you can elevate it. Not everyone was a good actor, and I think, I think in general, Natalie Portman's hit or miss in, in in a lot of films she does. I think she's great in some stuff, in some stuff she's not so great. She's amazing in Black Swan. I think she's pretty good in actually The Phantom Menace. She does a pretty decent job. I just think that, you know, yes, George is not an actor's director, but. You know, I don't really think it ever affected Liam Neeson or Ewan McGregor. So I, I just, or Ian McDermott. Uh, so I honestly think it, it's partly on Lucas, partly on the actor, partly on the script. So it's, it's a combo. Oh and, yeah, and, for sure. I mean, and that's right. what I was getting at anyways. I'm, I certainly am not saying that, you know, it's all George's fault. Um, and I think, you know, that has to do with just like you were saying, the caliber of the actors too. And I think, uh, you know, Natalie Portman and uh, Hayden Christensen in the next two movies are just a little bit, you know, younger and more inexperienced. Um, and that's a good point. That's you know, a really good point. Actually. Yeah, because also, I mean, with Natalie Portman, you know, we think of her now like she's such a, a, you know, sort of seasoned veteran in Hollywood that gets nominated for Oscars and stuff. But she hadn't done a lot of stuff, you know, with the prequels. And I know she's older than Jake Lloyd. Um, and I think by the time of episode two, like she her she was a little bit more well known than Hayden Christensen was, but she's still, you know, pretty young. Um, I think she was only like, you know, eighteen or nineteen or something when they were making episode two. I and think she's she like was six she's sixteen in this one. Yeah, she's um, sixteen in this. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so um you know, yeah, it's just, you know, still kind of a, a learning process. I also, so it was interesting in sort of in preparation for this today, I was watching um I don't know if you've heard of the YouTube channel Cinema Wins. Um, so there's, there's cinema sins and there's cinema wins and cinema sins does those videos. It's like everything wrong with such and such a movie. Um, and then cinema wins does everything great about such and such a movie. And so I was watching the everything great about the Phantom Menace and, um, you know, so of course he's highlighting like a lot of the positive stuff in the movie, but also was addressing some of the critiques and he was talking about, um, the actors in the original trilogy. And he was talking about like Harrison Ford would sometimes just go through his entire script and like tweak Han's lines to make them sound more natural or like say like how he would say them. Um, because I mean, even though Harrison Ford wasn't like a super well-known actor when star Wars came out, he was a little bit older and you know, I mean, we all know the stories about how he would, how he would stand up to George Lucas and say, Hey George, like you can type this stuff but you can't say it um <laughs> and that's a really good point kyle that's a really good whereas point. with you know the younger actors like hayden christensen and natalie portman were just like you know i mean by this point george was even a bigger more esteemed director than he was when the first star wars movies came out because star wars had become this huge cultural phenomenon and they're just young actors trying to uh you know please this 
mega director and, you know, be part of this huge franchise and, you know, maybe didn't really want to risk, you know, kind of pushing back against that or, um, you know, we're just kind of trying to do what they were told and do their best with it. Whereas, you know, it just could have been kind of tricky for them. So, um, well, Kyle, he's here. Jake Lloyd and Anakin has showed up in this movie and now he's about to deliver, uh, some, it was good to meet you too. Um, so well, we, we already went past the classic pickup line. Are you, yeah. are you an angel? <laughs> oh gosh. It's good to meet you too. Yeah. And Jar Jar's uh, tripping all over the junk shop and I, he's spinning his ears, slapping him in the face. And I so, will so, say the yeah. whole angel thing had a, you know, got followed up pretty nicely. I would say in the clone wars on that episode, what was the name of it? The, the two mystery, part. mystery of a thousand moons. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to, you know, anything to do with Anakin's dialogue of "Are you an angel?" to pop up again, but having to show up in Clone Wars, I thought that was pretty cool. So, all right, Kyle, tell us what was what's your what's your thing with with Anakin when you were a kid? Since you were oh, closer in age with him. Well, so yeah, when I was a kid, so I was like I said, I was eight when this movie came out, uh, and I think at the time the movie came out, like Jake Lloyd was ten, and Anakin was supposed to be, you know, nine years old in the movie. Um, yeah. So these guys are like a year or two older than me. I'm like, this is right in my my age range, my wheelhouse. Again, I had already been a huge Star Wars fan since I was like four. Luke was always my favorite character. I just, you know, I wanted to grow up to be like Luke and be a Jedi. And that was kind of like the sort of like my when I grow up fantasy, you know, like Luke was like the older character that I aspired to be. But then when I saw Anakin and saw a kid my age driving pod racers and flying Naboo starfighters and leaving home to go, you know, start his journey as a Jedi Knight. Like I wanted to be that. Um, and well, I will say like, I still liked Luke more as a character cause we got to see him kind of do more cool stuff and actually be a Jedi. Like Anakin was almost more relatable because it was like, you know, again, a kid, my age getting to do all that stuff. Um, and especially, I mean, I loved the, just the pod racing scene. It's still right up there as one of my two favorite scenes in this movie. You know, it's the, the pod race and the Darth Maul fight. I always go back and forth about, you know, which one of those two is my favorite part of the movie, which I think a lot of fans would say is the same thing, but, um, you know, I never thought it was like, oh, unrealistic or stupid that like, oh, he's, you know, a nine-year-old kid that's flying this thing at 600 miles an hour and not crashing and dying immediately. I was like, no, that's super cool. I want to do that. <laughs> so, I always, yeah, I, I, was, I loved him. You know, an interesting way to go about, but I thought, you know, a pretty satisfying way for Anakin's history to be kind of a tragic one where, well, we knew he was going to have a tragic downfall, but even to come from like beginnings were like pretty awful as being a slave. I mean, where I first heard that I was like, and once that got revealed by Lucas of how he begins the young kid as a slave, it goes, man, that's, I wasn't expecting that, but it makes sense for a character like Vader just to come from such a horrible upbringing and just to have that be a focal point for Anakin's, you know, young life and for a reason for him to really want to be a Jedi and to get attached to things that ends up working really well in the end for his, like tragic backstory that he has from his downfall and just to his upbringings as, as a slave. Mm -hmm. I just want to always want to get that history as we're going to meet Shmi Skywalker pretty soon. I would love to know her backstory, how she became a slave. And if there's a way that explains to her of how she, she was chosen by the force to carry Anakin and to give birth to him. I just find that so fascinating. Why did the force choose her? What's her history like? So I'm hoping at some point we either get a novel or a comic story that, 
goes back into Shmi's path because I would love to get that story. Hmm. Yeah, Shmi was. Uh, I I almost think that that that's the point of her being of her being the chosen one, the the bear, the chosen one, is she's not special. She is insignificant. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know. I think that's kind right. of the. Not honestly the the point, but I think that's kind of why they chose her is because she, maybe she is this kind of meek, very nice, you know, good person. By the way, that toy in the upper left corner, that the, the Moz toy, it, not not <laughs> not the Moz toy, the little like silver like like scoop thing, like it's, that was a modern toy right there by three PO's head. Okay, like, that's a modern toy that they just spray painted silver. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that. Do you remember playing? With, I had those in like I think gym class. Yeah, we scooped the balls into them. <laughs> yeah, and toss them yeah, or you whatever. Know exactly, yeah, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. I was like, wait, that's I, I, we have one of those. It's a, it's spray painted silver. Yeah, it well, bumps. hey, you spray painted silver, and it looks like it could be a random junk part or something. <laughs> I gotta say too, I love this look of C3PO. This Damn. is probably my favorite of his looks even more so than the iconic goal i know that might sound blasphemous but i just love how he just looks nothing but wires and parts put together i think it just looks really really cool yeah yeah and i I know a lot of people have issues with the fact that like oh you know why did they have to make it super convenient make everything connected and you know darth vader built c3po as a child like all that's so stupid like i never really had a problem with it um I mean, it's not necessarily something that I love. Like, I certainly could have mm. done without it, but it doesn't, like, ruin the story for me. It's like, okay, yeah. whatever. And yeah, just going never, back... Yeah. I'm sorry, Paul. This is what we're talking about with Anakin and Smee about her, like, coming from, like, these humble beginnings and this, like, tragic origins where I just like that aspect with these, like, hero characters that we get where they come from these, like, humble beginnings. And as much as you and me were hoping that Ray was a Skywalker or the solo. That's one aspect that's helping me accept her as being a Randa with her, you know, terrible upbringing that she had being sold just for drinking money. But yet now she's rising to be the main hero that the galaxy needs kind of like what Anakin was here. So that's mm-hmm. an aspect of, of a story of telling that I always liked when it's put into these hero characters that go on to do great things. And may I add, uh, interchange here with Darth Maul and Darth Sidious just coming on screen. Mm. My question to you guys, and I, and to be honest, it's more fleshed out now, but even then I kind of want to know what exactly is Darth Sidious means by a lot or not Darth Sidious, Darth Maul. When it says at last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi at last we'll have our revenge. What exactly are they seeking revenge on? The fact that they were extinct? Like, I always thought, like, what does that mean exactly? Even when this movie movie first came out, I always wanted to know, what exactly is Darth Maul speaking to? Like, what exactly Mm. is whatever Darth Sidious has told Darth Maul they're getting revenge on? What exactly is it? I want to know. And I don't think they really explain that. Maybe more so in the expanded universe, legends, but mm. not now. And I would like to have maybe more. And again, that that would fall more of in in line with what who trained uh, Palpatine, aka Jarsidius, and what does that mean, and what does he say, and all that stuff. So I would like to know a little bit more of what they're referring to. Obviously, they they want revenge against the Jedi because they're they're extinct, but the rule two, et cetera. But what exactly is revenge? Is that, is, do you guys ever think about that? Honestly, I just kind of took it as very base for what you just said, especially seeing it for the first time about them just wanting revenge against the Jedi because 
the Sith teachings have only been passed down to master and apprentice, in this case, a thousand years, um, just about how they got wiped out by the Jedi and the rule of two got formed by Darth Bane. And that's what they've taught. I mean, even in the novel, they make mention of Darth Bane of passing. That's always something that came from Lucas. I always loved where he always had in his mind that Darth Bane created the rule of two and he would teach down what happened to the Sith and their downfall for the Jedi to one day get revenge. So honestly, I think it's just as simple as that. And yeah, until we get more in canon stories of what actually happened, I just kind of take it for what happened in the Darth Bane novels, which I really love and just kind of show the downfall of the Sith army and how it needed to go down to just two. So that's how I always took it and kind of just view it as now still. Yeah. And I think even to a more, to simplify it even further than that, because like, I don't think I've even really ever questioned that. Um, And it's, I mean, I hate to say it's just kind of like a generic bad guy thing, but it's like it doesn't even have to be revenge for a specific thing. But it's like just the fact that the Jedi are the ones in power, the Sith are the ones in hiding and Mm. to maybe not necessarily get revenge for a specific action, but just to sort of finally flip the tables on them to be able to come out of hiding, to take the upper hand and to, um, you know, strike a blow against our, our mortal enemies who we've been hiding from for all this time is kind of, you know, not even like revenge for anything that the Jedi have done, but just revenge for all these years that like they've been above us. And now we're going to like finally put ourselves on top. Um, Cause even if you think about, you know, revenge of the Sith, you could ask the same question, like, well, what are the Sith getting revenge for? It's like, I don't know. It's just the, the Sith finally ascending and taking power and, um, you know, it's kind of a contrast to Return of the Jedi. Revenge is like more vengeful and angry, which is what the Sith are all about. So yeah, I, I remember that's, that's kind of how I always took it. Yeah. As we get another shot right here at Mos Espa, it just made me think of how when I first learned that we were going back to Tatooine in episode one, I kind of took me by surprise because I was just always thinking that these prequels are going to be so, you know, different as far as new planets. Cause that's what a lot of Lucas would always say. We're going to be new planets, new characters, but of course it's going to be some familiar characters. And for whatever reason, I never thought that Anakin would come from Tatooine like Luke did. But in the end, once we saw the movie and the rest of the trilogy, I just like how Tatooine has become the star Wars planet where, you know, our two heroes from the first two trilogies anyway, have come from and father and son kind of have, you know, similar upbringings. Of course, Luke wasn't a slave, but growing up on a desert world. And besides that story point, I just remember leading up to the movie coming out, looking at pictures in Star Wars Insider or ones that would come out online. I just remember thinking to myself, how crazy I'm seeing Tatooine, but yet this is before the original trilogy. Like these, I remember there's one picture, I don't know, for whatever reason, it stuck out to be uh, we saw them walking in most Espa as Qui-Gon and Jar Jar and Padre making their entrance. It's Warwick Davis's character, and this, he's, like, walking with this real tall guy. He's, like, his face is kind of painted black and white. He has his hat on. They were, like, on the one of the first images released in Star Wars Insider showing the filming in Episode One. It was on Tatooine. I just remember thinking about it. Man, this is a time period in Tatooine where these two characters walking right here, they don't know about the Empire. They never knew about the Death Star or the things that we'd take for granted in the original trilogy, just making me think how excited it is to be going to this new era of Star Wars where things are just totally different, but yet we're seeing familiar planets and locations. And it's just one of the things I was always excited about when seeing episode one after I learned Tatooine was going to be back in the movie. 
I always hated that uh, before the swipe, the way Anakin kind of folds his arms at Watto. It's just so bad. <laughs> oh my lord! I'm sorry. Oh, I, know it, I know what you mean. Horrible. It's so bad. <laughs> it looks like he has a little trouble getting the arms fully folded across. And he's like trying really hard to look. Oh come on, you know. But yeah, it's 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 bad. I'm sorry. I I I, I think Jake Lloyd is obviously was a bad decision to put in the movie like not i don't think necessarily having a young child was a problem i think no. the actor was yeah. I, he's obviously a really weak point in the movie if you don't think so then you're being very very gracious he, he has his moments where he does a good job i will say that but overall yeah i don't want to this to be you know every time he's on screen where we're knocking him but i it's hard to disagree with that ball mm-hmm. my mom by the way my mom we were talking about the movie at one point after it came out and my mom goes, what happened to little romance in this movie? Like, why didn't, like, Qui-Gon and, and, and Anakin's mom, like, why didn't they, like, get together? Because, <laughs> they, you know, I'm just like, mom. Like, anytime there was a woman and a man talking, she thought they needed to get together. And I was like, it does not need to happen. Like, well, come on. Here's the thing that I like about their relationship. You know how in episode two, Anakin talks to Padme about, uh, Jedi having compassion and mm-hmm. you know he, how he kind of twisted to be like you would all you know you could almost say we're encouraged to love it's like you almost see Qui-Gon embodying that here like in the way that a Jedi should practice that without uh, taking it yeah, too far because point. he's I mean if you imagine like Mace Windu having that conversation <laughs> with Shmi he would have been way more standoffish and cold and Qui-Gon yeah. is very like warm and open to her to the sense that, you know, uh, like you almost can see a little bit of something between them, but at the same time, it's like, she's a slave. He's a Jedi master. Like, and he's got to finish doing what he's doing and go off and save the queen or yeah. Save the queen. Like he doesn't have time to stay and like start a family with her or something like, like even if he did have feelings for her, which I'm not saying that he does or that, you know, that there's like a, a budding romance under the surface, but it's like, it's the kind of situation where like you could almost see something like that happening, but it's just, you know, they, they show like that softer side of him without it having to be like, Oh, and now they're going to kiss, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you brought up a great point, actually. I never even thought about that, is how Qui-Gon really does preach compassion. And he is so different than all the other Jedi because of that. And that's why he's not on the council. And if it was Mace Windu. (laughs) Right. But but Mace Windu is so cold and so like just kind of he's so disconnected from his emotions that he wouldn't respond the same way as Qui-Gon. And and because and I think that's what we're seeing in the performance of Liam Neeson is the fact that he's like, Hey, I'm like, he, his performance is so compassionate and caring. And you, you, you think, Oh, maybe he has feelings for Padme or Padme, sorry, uh, Shmi Skywalker, but that's not the case. And I think that the whole point is the character is he's just as compassionate about everything. Cause he, that's what he is in tune with the force with he or force with, he understands the force's role more better than any Jedi out there. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good point. I never thought of it that way. That's a great analysis there, Kyle. Good work. Well, thank you. Well, um, yeah. And he's you know, and, part and, of his dialogue that he says later too, when Anakin starts the pod race feel, don't think mm-hmm. use your instincts, like just how to, to really trust yourself and to feel the force instead of just, you know, just being on this one set mind. 
Except that probably Mace Windu would have been, like you said, Kyle. Yeah. yeah, and that's something that I've kind of been hearing a lot lately, just from a lot of different, like, YouTubers and stuff that I've been watching, you know, talking about Star Wars, is I've I've sort of latched onto this idea that I've heard from a lot of other people about Qui-Gon being this sort of maverick Jedi who didn't go along with, you know, the teachings of the Council and stuff. And obviously you can kind of tell that in this movie, but I almost wish that that had been, like, a more central story point and even that you know maybe Qui-Gon had had a little bit bigger of a role in the sequel or in the prequel trilogy as a whole because um you know you can't help but wonder like if things would have turned out differently if Qui-Gon had been the one to teach Anakin like I mean Mm because I think we would all agree that Obi-Wan is a great Jedi um but he I think he does follow the the council and the Jedi code and everything a little bit more closely than Qui-Gon does. I mean, heck, in episode three, we see that he's on the council, which Qui-Gon never was. Um, And if Anakin had been Qui-Gon's Padawan, like, because Qui-Gon kind of lives in the moment and does what he thinks is right and what he feels like the Force is telling him as opposed to what the Jedi council has set in stone, like maybe he wouldn't have had as much of a problem with Anakin, you know, having some of his emotional attachments or his anger issues, or maybe Pat Anakin would have been able to open up to him about his feelings for Pat. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, even if, if Qui-Gon had still been around or if Obi-Wan or some of the other Jedi had been a little bit more uh, relaxed or easygoing or less kind of set in their ways, like Qui-Gon was, you know, how, that could have had a different effect on Anakin and how things could have ended up differently. Yeah. He yeah. really could have been that father figure that, you know, Anakin calls Obi-Wan like his father in episode two, which I never really liked. I wish he just kind yeah. of him as his brother, brother, not yeah. his father. but Qui-Gon really could have been that father figure where he, like he could have said, be more open to and share his feelings more, just feel like he could go to him with anything instead of hiding things. So yeah, mm-hmm. all great stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I never really even had a problem with that, you know, in episode two where he says that Obi-Wan is like a father figure to him, because in that movie, I think it is more true. Like I definitely by the end of Revenge or by the time of Revenge of the Sith, they are much more like brothers. But in episode two, I mean, Obi-Wan is the closest thing Anakin's ever had to a father. And at that point, I mean, he's still pretty young. I think in episode two, Anakin's like 19 and Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan's supposed to be like 35. So, um, I mean, there is a pretty big age age difference there, and Obi-Wan's been his master for a while, and so even if it's not, certainly not as much of a, a father-son dynamic as you could imagine between, like, Qui-Gon and Anakin, um, especially because, you know, Qui-Gon is a lot more sort of nurturing and fatherly towards Anakin, even in the short time that he gets to know him in this movie, Um Still, just the fact that because Anakin grew up without a father and then, you know, he he goes into his Jedi training like Obi-Wan really is the closest thing to a father that he ever knows. But then, of course, over the course of the Clone Wars and Anakin coming into his own as a Jedi Knight and the two of them just fighting side by side the whole time, um, they really do become, you know, much closer like brothers. But, um, you know, for the earlier part of Anakin's life, I think that's, you know, it's a a fair comparison and kind of sad that like that's all he has. Mm. That's true. We haven't brought Watto up yet, but I really like Watto. Just from a character design, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) his voice. Yeah, Yeah. I know we're past this now, but you know, the I always like that. uh, You know, mind tricks don't work on me; only money. You talk talk about CGI back in the day not looking good, and you know, Jar Jar complaining, but. I never really, I always liked Sebulba and Watto and how they looked and how yeah. they interacted with everyone. I never understood the problem with them. 
Yeah, me or, I, or I don't. Well, I don't, not, not, I don't think people had a problem with them as much. I think it was mainly Jar Jar. I think there was some problem with the CGI. The people, because it was, again, because George went full throttle, uh, full throttle and was like, oh, man, like, this is CGI. is different than, like, live action. But I, I think they, they even even then, I, I didn't have a problem with them as much as other, as, as other people did. Yeah, me neither. I, and, it's funny because thinking about, like, I'll have to see how I feel when we get to episode two. But just thinking back now on like the last time that I watched episode two on Blu-ray, like I know there are certain things, especially when you watch it in Blu-ray quality, there's stuff in episode two that sticks out like a sore thumb. Dexter Jetster looks like garbage. And I'm watching (laughs) this movie now and going like, wait, like Watto and Jar Jar look better than Dexter does in episode two. Yeah. It's like episode two, they spent their entire effects budget on Yoda and the Battle of Geonosis and Dexter was like an afterthought. I was that character that just walked by Darth Maul's uh, probe droid. We had like a fighter pilot helmet, but kind of like a skull face. And once General Grievous got created, I always think, is that a Kalish? Because he does have kind of like hmm. that skull mask that he's had on his face. I don't know if that was ever retconned to making him a Kalish, but I always think it is. All right. Well, here we go with the introduction to the pod race. And uh, did you guys ever play uh, Star Wars Episode One Racer? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. For like five minutes and I gave up. Oh, really? man. That was <laughs> my childhood, man. Yeah. I remember I, could I could not figure it out. I got a uh, so we had it for the computer. We bought like a Star Wars game two pack of PC games and it was episode one racer and Rogue Squadron. Um, and for whatever reason, I never really got that much into Rogue Squadron. Like I definitely played it, but I mean, maybe it was just hard for me as a kid. Like I think I never got past, you know, the first few missions. Like I never finished all of it. Um, but man, we played the heck out of some Star Wars episode one racer, me and my little sister and my dad. Um, you know, we, uh, we played all the courses and unlocked all the characters. And I still remember like all these guys, like even the ones that they don't mention by name, in the movie, I could rattle yeah. you off, you know, everyone from Fudd Sang and Dud Bolt and Elon <laughs> Mack and Arc Bumpy Roos and, you know. Bumpy Roos. Oh, that. yeah. Yeah. Arc <laughs> Bumpy Roos. Really, before you move on, I just want to say I love the extended introduction here that they yeah, had. Back yeah. It's I, such, so good. This was one because it was for the DVD, and I remember mm-hmm. not reading anything about it. So when I got the DVD and watched it for the first time, I'm like, oh man, this is like the Phantom Menace special edition. We're getting deleted mm-hmm. scenes incorporated. This is awesome. And then, and, to be, and let's be real, I think it, fl- I, I know it's longer, but it flows so well. Yeah. And I, but I think it really adds to once we get the extended second lap of the actual pod race, it just yes. adds yeah. more, makes it more epic. Just a yeah. lot more cool stuff to see. For sure. Although I can't remember, was it, did that all come out for the first time on the, the DVD or was it ever, did they have it as like deleted scenes at the end of the VHS or something like that? No. Was this all in the it was, DVD? It was just the DVD. Okay. Cause yeah, I mean, I don't I, remember. I, I don't know why I feel like I had seen those somewhere. Maybe it was even like, I don't know if they did like a theatrical re-release or something. Or I mean, maybe I'm just misremembering. Maybe it was just well, the DVD, but. They um, did re-release it in Christmas of 99. I never saw it in the theater again once they did that. So maybe they put it in there. They could have done. I, I just seem to remember seeing those scenes for the first time somewhere other than the DVD. Um but again, I mean, I was just a kid at the time, so maybe I'm just misremembering. But regardless, I do remember seeing those for the first time and thinking like, oh, man, this is super cool to have like even more footage of the pod. Yeah. Race. I love Anakin's pod race helmet, too. 
Yeah. Oh man. And I can't even tell you again, like as an eight year old kid who like Anakin was my favorite character in this movie. And I had like that image of him with the, the pod racing helmet on. I had like a beach towel of that. I had it on t-shirts. I think <laughs> nice. I had a travel bag. Um, Oh gosh. You know what? I remember that year that this came out. I think I got a, I got an Anakin duffel bag and we went on a trip somewhere like for Christmas or something and it got not lost, but like just through the, the conveyor belts at the airport or something, I had left like the strap on it and it got caught on something and it like tore off and like tore a hole in the bag. <laughs> and I was like so sad that like my Anakin bag, you know, was all messed up. Um, but yeah, I mean, of, of all the, you know, the merchandising and stuff. I know a lot of people probably were into, you know, collecting Darth Maul stuff or whatever. I just had Anakin everything. <laughs> I love how, I just love Qui-Gon, you know, just telling like like Padme, aka yeah. the queen. She's like, oh, you think the queen would approve of this? And he's like, queen, trust my judgment. You should too. He's just like, man, he just doesn't <laughs> even care. I love it. I love it. Love Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon is literally, I feel he's so underutilized in, in Star Wars right now. Mm -hmm. I feel that they could mm -hmm. put out an ongoing comic book of him right this second, yep. and it would sell so well. Yeah, it, that... could, it'd go easy 25 issues. You could have the writer come in, plot out 25 issues, and it would be in the top 50 easy for, for that tw those 25 issues, in my yeah. opinion. No, I agree that. His age of or his yeah age of republic issue was and great. Yeah. I mean, just get Jody, Jody Hauser to do it. <laughs> yeah, Jody Hauser, get her get her site locked in to do it, and let's do it. By the way, I will say the one one of the few times I think the CGI even to today and even back then that still bothers me is Jabba the Hutt. I want puppet Jabba. I yeah, want I, puppet Jabba so bad. I will say this is the best CG Jabba has looked because even in the 2004 A New Hope redo for the DVD. I still think this one looks better, but I agree. They still haven't perfected CG Java. I'll tell you what they did perfect, though, is the CG pod racers, man. Oh, yes. This scene <laughs> looks so good. Poor Ben Quadineros. <laughs> Everyone loves Ben. It's so cute. Him and his four engines that we probably thought were going to win him the race. No problem. <laughs> yeah, and Anakin finally gets going. I kind of like what they did here because obviously he's bragging about, you know, oh, I built a pod and it's the fastest ever and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, you got to prove it then. And like, you know, they can't make it easy for him because if it really is as fast as he's bragging yeah. about, that's if, a good point. if the ship's as fast as his boasting, yeah. he ought to do well. Um, okay, that's a really good point, Kyle. I never even thought of that. That's me neither. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, you're right. They had to. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he gets snagged at the beginning and still ends up winning, I mean, he kind of proved his point. And you see him overtaking all these people. Hey, there's Aura Singh cameo. Um, the last minute cameo that everyone thought meant more that really meant nothing until Clone Wars. But <laughs> yeah, well, and she was also she was in some comics uh, before yeah. Clone right. Wars. But no, but, but it was a last minute addition. So people thought she was going to be uh, more of a, a, a presence in the other films. And yeah. she ended up being a weird george thing i remember her coming up in a lot of like early episode two rumors is she gonna be like one of the main villains or a bounty hunter episode two but she and by the way i i read her uh her comic books a couple years ago and they weren't bad i i like the idea i liked her her, her legend storyline and i but i also like her in in clone wars or yeah. the 
canon. So she's she's a really interesting character, and I also love the fact we know now that she died because of Beckett. Yeah, mm-hmm. we just got to find out how that happened. Oh, I love Beckett. I love, I just love Solo. I also love the inclusion of the Tuscan Raiders there, just kind yeah. of them showing yeah. them what they do for sport and fun, <laughs> just shooting pirates. That's a good way to use them. Which is really funny, guys. The Sand People are in, like, have a really unique place in this saga. It's just, yeah. it, it, they're, they're really, really interesting. They're important. Yeah. yeah, they're just kind of yeah. like the bystanders to everything. Yeah, but like, you know, and they also put, you know, obviously in episode two, there are huge, you know, huge thing going on in there. And, but I know it's, just, it's, just, they're, it, they're an interesting thing. Like they're just such a, you know, not insignificant, but they're just such a mindless race, it seems like, or mindless yeah. people. But like they end up being, you know, and again, kind of a Lucas trope a little bit, showing the how even like the things that you think that are, are useless are actually really more important than you think. Mm-hmm. There was a real cool moment in the, the novel too, where it's like it's the very first chapter of the prologue that starts with Anakin on Tatooine. I think there's like a don't remember the exact details, but there's like a desert storm or like in the way yeah. of the desert, and he, he like comes across the Tuscan Raiders like dying. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine that in this movie? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about tone shift. <laughs> I love the little spinning brain thing in a uh, in three PO. Yeah, yeah. And here Anakin is coming up on Gasgano. All new stuff and the extended lab too, which I love. Like yeah. the rear view camera. Hey, you know, yeah, they they had those in Star Wars before we all had backup cameras on our cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they had iPads too, which was what Smee and Qui-Gon and everyone's watching. That's true. <laughs> the race on. On there, yeah, on I, there? I love this whole scene where Anakin, you know, gets the jump over Gascano and then this uh, Team Toe Pagalese comes up next to him and he just does the barrel roll over him yeah. as he's trying to smash him into the wall. See, I, I, going back to Star Wars, how cool and diverse is this? This this pod race, yeah. You know, I people love like, it, man. It's so great. It looks fantastic. Still, it's yeah. People, I don't know. It, it's I, I look. This is where I think some of the diversity in the sequel trilogy is missing. Is stuff like this, like unique stuff. Like let's do a pod race. And it's in like this. Star Wars has the stuff you come to expect in a Star Wars movie, but then also there's a, a scene or a sequence that's unique just for that particular Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. which stands out. And this is the right. perfect case for episode one. I hate when yeah. Sebulba does Mars Guo dirty right there and throws the wrench in his engine. Cause he was always one of my favorite ones to play. In the game. <laughs> I love that. You know, all the names. I, I, I just love that. Oh yeah. I get, I've, I just, I had, I still have them memorized from when I was a kid. Cause I've just played with all of them so much. That's, well, it's um, funny. Cause did you have the action figures, Kyle, of this of this movie a lot? Uh, not many. Um, so, so really quickly, the reason why I ask is because the video games for your generation are like the toys of my generation. I think. I think you connected with the video games because you had video games. We didn't have video games when we were, you know, like you. So you memorized their names by that. We memorized their names through the toys and things like that. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't just. It wasn't just through video games. I mean, there's a lot of characters that I know the names of because of action figures or because of books. In fact, there's sure. it's the merchandising in general. I remember when we get to episode two, I specifically remember because there were so many new Jedi characters in that movie, you know, from the Battle of Geonosis mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember around the time or maybe even before the movie came out, learning the names of characters like Plo Koon and Kit Fisto because they were on. I don't know. You guys are probably even too old for this, but you remember uh, Gogurt? 
it was like the yogurt that came in like oh, a yeah. tube that you I could just squeeze yogurt. it in. I'm not yeah. that old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sir. They, well, I don't know. They had because it was it was kind of a new. You thing. know how old I really am. It, it was it was a new thing. At least I remember it being kind of a new thing when I was a kid. And they had episode two gogurt tubes that looked like lightsabers. Yeah. And they had, but they all had characters on them. And so I learned the names of like Kit Fisto and Plo Koon and and some of those uh, Jedi characters from stuff like that. Um, but it's just, it's mainly just specifically the pod racers that I learned from the game because you could unlock and play as all those characters. And so even, you know, the ones that aren't mentioned in the movie, like, and also you had the announcer in the game that would like announce the names of all the characters. And so if you like set a new track record, like you'd start the game and they'd be like the, you know, the current track record holder for this track is Sebulba or Gascano or Mars Guo or whoever it was. <laughs> Another cool thing about the pod race too, and we're going to get to it in just a few minutes here, but how there's no music throughout the whole sequence, yeah. but then it kicks in mm -hmm. at just the right moment where it's just Anakin and Sebulba really close to the finish line, neck and neck, who's going to win? And that music cue just kicks in. As, I mean, as much as we love John Williams' scores, but I think this is sequence is probably made better without the orchestral score to go with it. And I'm sure... Ben Burt and Matt Wood just had a field day in just mixing the sound for this entire sequence. It's just really, really, really well done and how it's mixed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this this may sound like blasphemy to some like hardcore OT fans. And this is coming from someone whose oh. favorite Star Wars movie is Return of the Jedi. But like the pod race blows the speeder bike chase on Endor out of the water. Well, yeah, I, I would agree to that. The speeder bike chase was very ahead of its time and, and really started like showing how cool that those kinds of kinds of sequences were like this is obviously what lucas had in mind when he thought of the speeder bike chase and wanted to do a sequence like this but couldn't because of the technology this is shows you how uh what he could what he was thinking about going fast and what he you know what he wanted so yeah i i, I think the pod race is one of the better scenes in the in the prequel trilogy maybe in all of star wars mm -hmm. and honestly one of the best like movie racing scenes ever yeah, especially maybe. in terms of like the special effects and the sound design and stuff. Yeah, like I'm not a big racing person, so I don't know if I could say that. But you know, but I, I I love the pod race. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, well, I mean, I just think it's such a cool concept, and you know, I yeah. mean, you can watch you know a, a street race in a Fast and the Furious movie and stuff, and they can cut it real fast and add cool music and you know the sound design of the cars revving up and everything and it's all cool but like especially as a star wars fan you take that concept and put it in space with these big roaring engines and these things flying across the desert at 600 miles an hour with you know these these big booming engines like i love the sound of sebulba's pod racer like just the sound it makes as it's cruising along is so cool um and just i mean even like the the distinctive noises that all the different engines make um, and just the visuals, the whole thing, it's just, it's like a, a, just, you know, it's a street race from any, you know, racing action movie taken and put in space and just amped up to a thousand on steroids. Like it's just crazy and it's awesome. I, I gotta say, uh, Ben Burt did an amazing job with all the different engines and things like that in this yeah. too. I, I, I know you didn't mention it, uh, Tim, but the special, I remember watching a 60 minute special of him, like going through yep. different, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. The, yeah, it was so cool. And it's probably on YouTube somewhere and it's definitely worth watching. It's, it's super cool what he does to get different, uh, 
different sounds and everything. This is the greatest Miss High Five ever. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, huh? <laughs> so why did Lucas leave that in? He almost one thing I love about Lucas, he probably was like, "That's hilarious, leave it in." Yeah. You know, I, I, it's like it's not like he missed it. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just left that in. Like, he probably saw that and was like, "We gotta leave it in." That's yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why I love Lucas. He's just, he's just he always does weird things that you just kind of you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's always bothered me that Jabba fell asleep. Jabba <laughs> fell asleep. Who didn't fall asleep? He's be a like giant slug. That's a species. Doesn't mean he's gonna be like normal. Like, never mind. <laughs> getting into this right now i don't know he's, <sighs> maybe he's super old and he's like your grandpa that you know falls asleep watching every movie uh, fair enough speaking of matt wood that was him as bib fortuna that's true oh i forgot about that <laughs> he waves him off get out of here <laughs> oh, like Wado was like one last ditch effort to keep back. I was like, you know, might as well just say, no, you can't have him. Might as well just try <laughs> to go back on this bed. But no, Qui Gon wasn't you know, gonna have You him. know, Qui Gon, it would say if he did, do you think Qui Gon lets him do it? No, he put Heck his no. lightsaber out and go, mm-hmm. and go, we had a deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, even <laughs> then, I mean, that, I, <laughs> I like how, I mean, again, I'm, I'm thinking Qui Gon compared to like all the other Jedi that we've seen. Um, I mean, obviously he tries the Jedi mind trick first and it doesn't work, but I feel like after that, like he, he plays the game, right? Like he's so level-headed and just goes along with everything. Um, and is always one step ahead in his, you know, his negotiating and his kind of manipulating of the situation. Whereas I think, I mean, certainly if you put like Anakin as a Jedi Knight in that situation, yeah, he would have just had a, a lightsaber to Watto's neck five minutes in. Um, <laughs> but even you know, would Mace Windu have done that like he did with Django Fett? Like, maybe. No, here's, here's what he would have said. He would have been like, you can't have him. And then all of a sudden, like, Mace whip it out. This party's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or this bed is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this conversation's over. <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Okay, I, I'm going to I'm gonna go into something that I'm curious Cal, this is gonna kind of exclude you because you were too young. Sorry, because uh, you you didn't you didn't speculate as much as we did probably. But I've gone on record, and I remember as uh, you know when I saw the trailer, just in my own imagination, I thought that Qui Gon was protecting Anakin from Darth Maul, mm. and Darth Maul was trying to get Anakin. From everything that I saw, that's what I kind of I always and I and I'll be honest, I kind of like that idea still. I know it's 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 probably you know lame that I'm like I like this idea a lot, you know, my own idea. But I really do. I like the idea of of Darth Maul pursuing Anakin because they know he's something special about him, and he's kind of like he is the MacGuffin, uh-huh. if you will. So I don't know if Tanny, you or maybe Kyle, maybe you did think that, but I, I don't think you're. I think you're too young to speculate. But never know. But, but Tim, did you think something like that too? Possibly. No, actually, not really. But hearing you t- say that, I think that could have been made for a really cool way that the story could have went. Even though I think it's fine the way it is, but it kind of would have been interesting to see it go that way. Yeah, it's where fine. It's, you know, where Palpatine knew about it. Well, it kind of ties in more. You know, if, if the Darth Plagueis novel was canon, they were. You know, Palpatine knew about that. Yeah. Thing, the reaction the Force had to him and Plagueis manipulating, you know, trying to create life with the dark side. And then he knew that there was something out there and that it was Anakin. And he sends Darth Maul to 
maybe not necessarily kill him, but bring him to him to become his apprentice instead of meeting him like he does at the end of the film. That could have been interesting, but I can't say I really thought of that or speculated about that before I saw the movie. I just always assume, you know, Darth Maul is out to get the Jedi being Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, but no, that is going to make for a pretty cool way to go about the story. Well, thank you. Yeah, that could have been cool. I don't know if... Like, I feel like that would have had to affect, like, the story of the trilogy as a whole. Because if you think about it, the whole idea of Anakin being the chosen one, like you said, he's not really... It's not like he's the MacGuffin of the whole story. Like, it's definitely... Um, well, I know, I know, right. Well, I'm, I'm just saying that that could have been like a cool alternate take on the story, but I feel like that would you would have had to kind of shift focus and like all the movies be solely about like Anakin being the chosen one, right? Like that is like right. a big part yeah, of his okay. character. That is a big part of his character, but there's so much other stuff going on in these movies with, you know, just Palpatine playing both sides and the escalation of the Clone Wars and everything. And even like, even if Anakin didn't have that mantle of the chosen one thrust upon him still i i think you still could have had a really compelling story about just this young kid with a lot of potential growing up to be you know a powerful jedi knight but having um you know the emotional attachment issues and the you know the all the issues that he has to deal with and losing his mother and his his love for padme and all that kind of stuff there's all those different facets to his character besides just him being the chosen one and so i think it's still like it all like the story could still work without that but if you make it a, like the main thrust of the story like the bad guys are hunting him because he's the chosen one you have to kind of bring that a lot more to the forefront and do more with it story-wise mm-hmm. yeah and yeah, i will yeah, say yeah. this this is jake lloyd's best performance absolutely the entire yeah. movie. he shows yeah. just the right of emotion when he's crying then that determination he shows when he says i will come back and free you mom i promise like all this was done perfect by him and i will say this the moment we're not up to there quite yet, but right when he starts walking and she tells him, don't look back then the forest theme plays to me, this is where the star Wars Skywalker saga begins. That moment where Anakin turns and just walks away. Cause we all know what happens from this moment on. It's just mm-hmm. perfectly done. How Lucas directed and edited and put the music together with the forest theme. It just, I still get chills when I hear it and see it. Just knowing that this is where the Skywalker saga really gets going right here. He's going off to become a Jedi. And then as they say, the rest is history, but it's just so well done how Lucas did it here. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's going to end in episode nine. Oh, anyway. Things must come to an end. At some oh, stop it. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, forever. For, for years, we thought it ended with return of the Jedi. So I've got my theories. I've got my theories. <laughs> and right here, I said, we were going to get, there were going to be two re like audios that were redone that we got from the trailer. This is the first one where I think it was changed for the worst with Qui-Gon yelling to Anakin, like tell him to take off the way he just yells it in the trailer with such, you know, kind of anger and earnest as he sees a Sith Lord and the way he was overdubbed here just felt like not so quite as urgent, doesn't quite match with his, <laughs> I guess the way his facial expressions were. So that was the first one I thought kind of still bugs me to this day. Hmm. I don't remember that one as well, I, yeah, that, I as well as the one we're going to talk about later. But yeah, yeah I, 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 I know some of the audio definitely was different from the trailer to the movie. Besides Padme's, she was the obvious one. Yeah, but man, this lightsaber duel is so cool. As short it's as so it is, yeah. I yeah, love how Lucas always says, "Just is just to whet your appetite for what's to come." And boy, does it do it! <laughs> yeah, and I, I like the look of Maul in this fight too, where mm-hmm. he's still, yeah. you know, he's only fighting with the one blade. He's cloaked like. It would almost be cool to have this as like an alternate appearance in Battlefront or something like that. 
Um, cause you know, we're so used to the iconic, like he takes the robe off and he's got just kind of the, the tunic and the pants and twirling around with the double saber and everything just to kind of get a different look and him almost toying with the Jedi a little bit. Cause he's even not like fully revealing himself. He doesn't ignite the second blade. Um, and obviously that's kind of for the audience too, to keep that as a surprise for later. But, um, you know, he's kind of holding back his full power until he reveals that later to them. I will say I, that's one, like, I always liked how, you know, this is the Sith really, like, this is their coming out party. <laughs> They're making themselves known to the Jedi for the first time. And there was that comic storyline about Darth Maul where he goes after a Jedi apprentice. And Spoilers, but the apprentice he fights and encounters dies. But I always... So good, though. That always bugged me a little bit that technically that Jedi Padawan was the first one to discover the Sith were back and not Qui-Gon. Not no, a but huge deal, that, but it was something that kind of a little... Mm, Irk me a little bit. I, I don't. I, it didn't bother me because the, the Jedi died, and that was the whole point. Mm. Is he needed to get ready to fight, but it's it's Qui Gon, obviously, that takes is he's the one that reveals to the Jedi that listen, the Sith aren't the Sith are back, and I, which again didn't bother me that he was like the wasn't the actual first because it just made sense that like with Maul's character, especially with the Clone Wars and and Rebels, it, that comic makes a lot of sense now to me that he would do something like that. So I, I had no problem with that comic book, which, by the way, that's been, that's one of the better Star Wars comics, I think. Definitely haven't picked it up. And you like Darth Maul, it was pick good. it up. Yeah, I might have to check that one out now, too. I know I say well, that about every that comic either. you guys oh, are talking about. Wait, what? Wait, you haven't read that either? <laughs> no. You are killing me. <sighs> all right, all right, all right. I'm, we can't have an episode without getting on Kyle about not reading a particular Star Wars <laughs> story, book, or comic. It we'll continues see. with the commentary. I books I understand, because you actually have to, like, you know, you have to sit down and really, uh, you know, invest in a book. Comic book takes, like, 20 minutes. Come on. I don't know. I like to take my time with those, though. I, I And maybe it's just because I'm kind of a slow reader in general, but like when I buy those, the paperback volumes of the uh, the comics, I mean, it takes me maybe like an hour to get through those hour, like hour to two hours, um, depending. But um, I am I'm I'm still making my way through the Vader comics and really enjoying that. So maybe after that, I'll look into uh, this Darth Maul when you guys are talking about and we will probably have a special comic book episode in the future, I'd imagine. Hmm, what Darth Vader comics? Oh, maybe uh, at some point. I would love so. Maybe at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I only say maybe because I mean we're doing movie commentaries. We've still got our regular episodes to do, and we're a couple yeah. months out from celebration, which is going to give us enough stuff to talk about for like three months after that. So never say never, Kyle. Oh, Real I'm not saying too. never. I said maybe, and you got all <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> Real quickly before we get too further away from the moment where Anakin and Obi Wan finally meet i'm so yes. glad lucas put that in the first teaser trailer because that was one of those big geek out moments i remember see when watching it for the first time seeing obi-wan and to yet to be darth vader meeting for the first time it's mm -hmm. so cool is this the first time we see uh emperor palpatine or not in hologram it's, form. it's the yeah. first time we see him in person and not as a hologram yeah yeah, yeah okay okay that's what i meant I, I that's what i probably should say yes ian mcdermott is probably just he's not underrated as Star Wars fans because we all love him in this movie and this trilogy. But I just think that he is such an undervalued asset to Star Wars yeah. that people on the outside don't realize. Yeah. Like they, they think like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. No, 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 no. This guy is 
a pro. He was a mate. The fact he plays this, he plays himself older or no younger. Yeah. It's just, (laughs) yeah, it's, it just happened to, it just happened to work out so perfectly that he was like in his thirties when he did return of the Jedi. But of course they put all the makeup on him to look super old and stuff. And then by the time they make the prequels, when you go back to when he's like a 60 year old Senator, he was like the perfect age to play that character. Yeah, and, and he's phenomenal. Like, and that's the thing. He's a classically trained actor, you know, and he's just so good. Oh, he yeah. Carries, and again, it goes back to the fact, by the way, this, that scene seems added in as well, where he's like, go with her. Yeah, like, yeah, this is a, yeah, a new is. one. That totally added on. Anyway, but but my whole point with, with uh, E. McDermott here is that he's just so good, and people just kind of just gloss over it. And, and the fact that George... You know, he took George's basic dialogue and made it believable. Again, he and you to your point too, Kyle, about you know, Natalie Portman doesn't have as much experience as an Ian, Ian McDermott does, and it shows that guy. He brings that dialogue to life, and he's a great character. Again, he's one of the, he's probably one of the best parts or top three, four par- best parts in this pre- uh, prequel trilogy is his role and performance as uh, Sheev Palpatine. And yes, I said Sheev. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, you said top f- like three or four best parts? Yeah. Oh, I would put him squarely at number two, if not one. Okay, well, I, well yeah. I, I, I would go, I, I would say, I, I would say it's Ewan McGregor followed by like a hair by Ian McDermott. I, I would, you know what? That's probably safe to say. Some people maybe not, you know, but I'd say most people would say E. McDermott, you know, is one of the best things in this prequel trilogy, and is probably to to Lucas's benefit for re- for recasting him as the as the Emperor Palpatine. Yeah. Or, well, or not recasting, but yeah, like reusing. you know what? Re- and reusing. No, no, yeah, yeah I, I know. Reusing, what you mean. reusing him. That's better. Yeah. Re- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not recasting, but like re. Casting, like yeah. casting him again, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cause, yeah. <laughs> um, I just love how he's just so casually planting the seeds for the next phase see, of his plan. Yeah, about, you could vote for a no confidence in Chancellor. Yeah. <laughs> this is great stuff by yeah. George, and it's performed brilliantly by Ian. It's so good. Yeah, and and this see, was the first scene shot for the movie too. And yeah. this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Oh, no, where was it? this is the kind. Oh of no, th- you're right. You're right. It was Maul and yeah. Palpatine. Sorry, Kyle. Sorry, Kyle. Oh, no, I'm just saying, this is the kind of stuff I was talking about earlier where, like, as a, a casual moviegoer, if you're not hugely invested in Star Wars and you don't know where the story is going and you're just, you know, oh, you know, yeah, Star Wars, that's the cool movie with, you know, the lasers and the spaceships and stuff and you go to see this movie – a lot of this kind of stuff would probably bore you. And you'd be like, why are we talking about politics and voting for the chancellor and all that kind of stuff? But like when you're a fan and you understand where the story is going and understand how this all builds up to it and you see Palpatine planting those seeds, like it may not be like the most exciting, you know, set pieces in the movie or whatever. But when you understand like the context of what's happening story-wise, it's still like just really cool to see all that stuff start falling into place. I was going to say, I always liked the Coruscant scenes in Phantom Menace, but I really love them now after everything that's played out with the prequel trilogy, even Clone Wars, the, some of the episodes they had with Palpatine and Sidious and how we 
saw manipulate different aspects of the Senate and the Republic there. It just makes you appreciate his grand scheme and what he had in store. <laughs> and this is planned. It was just all so well done. And every mm -hmm. time I watch it now, it just makes me appreciate it more and more, especially the Senate scene, which we're going to get to pretty soon. That's one of my favorites now, which I never thought I would say of seeing it for the first time. But and here we are. I have to say, how amazing does Digital Yoda in this look compared to the puppet oh, oh yeah. yeah thank goodness oh yeah he, he looks fantastic like digital yoda looks phenomenal i'm sorry he looks fantastic here yeah and ugh. no yeah oh. from day one there was everyone thought they knew something was wrong with that yoda puppet yeah <laughs> used for episode one and you know until you brought it up i almost forgot about that like i and, know and it's, it's not like new. it's not like i've watched this a ton since it came out on blu-ray like you know I, i've watched it a few times but i've already like that weird wide mouth puppet yoda that they use for the fandom menace is just you know already starting to fade from my mind and i am okay with that <laughs> And right. the first time I actually saw it, and I think where they premiered it, was at the Star Wars in concert back in 2010 when they were showing clips from the movie. And at the point that was in the trailer where he goes, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. There was a CGO. It was like, oh, cool. I always heard about that. This was something that might be done. And here it is. And this is before the Blu-rays came out. And that made me think, oh, so should the Blu-ray release be coming soon? Hmm. <laughs> I have to wait another year. But that was our first look at CGO. I just remember him looking so good when I saw it for the first time there. Oh, he looks, He looks phenomenal. Chancellor Zod. Yeah, I was, I was just going to mention kneel before Chancellor Zod. Yeah. You will kneel and your ass. Yeah. Anyway, man, divergence. Again, yeah. classic, classic E. McDermott just chewing up the scenery right here. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. This is a, such a cool look for the Senate, too. It's these floating, you know, platforms where everyone has a turn to speak on the floor. They come out. And, you know, just a cool design. But, boy, back in 1999, didn't think what a great payoff this room would be once we get to Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, man. When you think, I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. But, yeah, to just kind of flash forward and think about Yoda and Palpatine throwing these things at each other. Well, and, and, and by the way, people want to complain like, well, that's too much CGI in this movie mur, 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 back in the day. But like, I don't think if they were, if you were to show them this scene and go, oh, so this scene looked terrible. They'd be like, well, no, this movie, this scenes look okay. But, you know, I mean, because yeah. it, it looks fantastic. I even then it looked great. So this, this is a great looking scene and everything. But uh, I have to say, in, in the context of the movie and, and the greater Star Wars story, when it took me a while to realize, because I'm a slow learner, people, okay, it's, mind you, I'm not the brightest. Uh, Just like Anakin. Yeah, yeah, I'm not <laughs> the brightest person in the world. But, you know, when, when Tarkin and, and A New Hope talks about eliminating the Senate, I realized, like, a, you know, not like last year, but like, you know, years yeah. <laughs> later after watching the movie, I'm like, oh, crap, they're talking about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, He's referring to the Senate. Like, I'm like, dude, like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. It was cool. It, again, it's not an off, I mean, okay, it's not a super obvious, but it's a semi, uh, you know, obvious thing if you're paying attention to these things. And it's kind of cool. Like, oh, the, he, so like, think about that. The Emperor, what he's saying in that moment is the Emperor took this whole, like, you know, democratic thing, there's Wookiees, uh, mm -hmm thing and he just demolished that that huge room of planets yeah. has been dissolved 
and it's just again, it's a it's a throwaway line, and and it, it, you don't think of it in retrospect. But again, the world building that Lucas did, intentional or unintentional, is brilliant with it this. All, yeah, and it all started it. right there. That sequence uh-huh. is so great. In that sequence with, with with this in Phantom Menace, but first uttered by Tarkin in episode four, you know, nineteen seventy seven. Just mm-hmm. really cool. Yep. I just yeah, love definitely. how that sequence ends with Pal- Palpatine just saying, now they'll elect a strong chancellor. <laughs> this is so cool. No way what happens. Fantastic shot here. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You know, going back real quick to what you were just talking about, Paul, with the Palpatine dissolving the Senate, I think it's interesting that in episode three, like he takes ultimate power for himself. Like he declares the Republic to now be an empire and everyone cheers about it. And yet he still for the next 20 years kind of dangles like the illusion of letting them think they still have some say in things. Like there's still a Senate for 20 years after that until he finally Mm -hmm. dissolves it. He's like, you know what? I've got my death star now. If anybody's got an issue with me, I'll just blow up their planet. (laughs) Like this thing is finally fully functional. Um, And so it's, you know, I, I think that could partly be him just playing a long game, but also kind of also partly showing that, like, even though he has everything, like he still even he has to wait sometimes and be patient and kind of let things unfold. Like, you can't just say, like, oh, the mm-hmm. Republic is an empire and then be like, all right, I'm evil. I'm taking everything like, you know, you still have to, like, kind of ease your way into it. And it took that long mm-hmm. for him to um, kind of have, like, a completely autonomous dictatorship. That's a great point. I have, a, I have a random question, and maybe you guys won't know or not, but is, is Keanu Mundy, is he like in the Legends? I think it's the Legends that he has a wife and child because yeah. of his race. Is, is that still mm-hmm. in canon? I, I'm not sure. on. Yeah, I don't think it's canon. Not officially, also, anyways. Also, too, I remember in like the visual guidebooks and everything how he wasn't a Jedi Master on the Council, that he was a Jedi Knight, but... That really? probably got retconned once in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Anakin became the first one to be on the council who was not a master. But yeah. so I always found that interesting about him. And here, uh, Jar Jar's telling Padme about his army and hoping his people Shadow don't way. die. <laughs> oh, look at that smug. I love that smile. Yeah. See, come on. I yeah. know. <laughs> So good. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And here's one of the most memed lines in this movie. A yeah. surprise, to be sure. But a welcome one. Oh my gosh! Prequel memes. I remember when they were listing the names of those who were also nominated, hearing uh, the name uh, Antilles. Like, yeah. okay, I heard Bale and Antilles. Like, wait, that's Wedge and Bale Organa connection. Like, <laughs> they combined yeah. the two. Yeah, it must just be a common name on Alderaan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There was an actor cast for Bail Organa in Phantom Menace who popped up in like those visual dictionary books and stuff who, of course, was not Jimmy Smith, but <laughs> but he was, I guess, supposed to be in some shots in the movie. I'm one of the people that back in the day that I, I always really liked the the Queen's wardrobes. I thought they were really yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. I like that idea Lucas had where every time you saw her in a new scene, she'd be wearing something different. Yeah, I, I thought it was really, really interesting and cool, and and I really think that like that people don't appreciate that much. Again, a great design, a creative idea. That's again, I'm gonna harp on these sequel movies for a while, but it's just missing from the sequel trilogy. 
You know, like this really interesting kind of different <laughs> ideas like this. I'm sorry. I started laughing. I love that line Padme says right there, or I should say I'm a dollar right now where he goes, I, pre I pray that you bring peace back to the Republic. And Palpatine just has like this sad look on his face that like that's not going to happen going, overnight. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, I thought he's going, yes. <laughs> I hate the way Mace is like, handled, you know, looks like right there. He's kind of his arm on the, on yeah, the, you know, like, chilling. No, like, no. He won't betray you. Like that's yeah. what I, I, I feel like he's saying. You know, I mean, come on. Like George, make him sit, put his arm down at least. <laughs> yeah, you can see yeah, talk you know, Samuel L. Jackson has his moments of being himself in these movies. Yeah, and thank you. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's also, like, talk oh, about showing the arrogance of the Jedi here, though. That's <laughs> true. That's, that's great true. Point. Okay, God, you you guys are just smacking me around with truth tonight. Cole <laughs> <laughs> forbids it. Like you, Mace is such a jerk. I love, I love Samuel's um, portrayal of him because it's just so on the money of a jerk. Like Mace yeah. is just not cool. You know what's what's interesting to me? I I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Ever since Clone Wars and how we've gotten, um, you know, obviously so many stories fleshed out around like all these background characters and like some of the, the other Jedi on the council. It's almost weird to see Plo Koon just sit there silently and say nothing because yeah. <laughs> like in the Clone Wars, like you'd hear him chime in on all this council stuff. That's true. Yeah. Also like that look Anakin just gave Mace right there. The subtle good performance from Jake Lord, I thought. No, no, right no. I, I think that was a, I agreed. I think that, but that was, you know, a great in, uh, inclusion by George. Yeah. Like show already that he is starts to, the distrust of the Jedi starts early mm. at an early age, mm -hmm. which we get, we're getting in canon and we're, and we're seeing that he trusts certain people, but not everyone. And Mace, obviously him and Mace have a kind of a, a, a complicated relationship as they go. Yeah. I guess this is as good a point as any to get into midi-chlorians as Qui-Gon's about to explain it to Anakin. And you know, boy, talk about an uproar back when this oh movie came Lord. out. This was might have been the biggest after Jar Jar, probably. But yeah, I think you're I right. Always, yeah. I never really had a problem with it because the biggest mixed conception of the midi-chlorians that I think a lot of fans have is that it is the Force and it explains uh -huh. too much of the Force. It is not the force, as Qui-Gon says right here, that just what all living beings have for them to communicate with the force, which we know that Jedi do. And it's just maybe there's those who don't want any explanations who don't like it no matter what. But to me, it doesn't hurt it at all, the mysticism and the mystery of the force. It doesn't take anything away. I know some criticism is that it makes it too much. There's too much science involved with it and whatnot, but... Um, yeah, I've never really had a big problem with it just because of the explanation that Qui-Gon here and even in the Clone Wars where we got a little bit more of it in the Yoda arc too as far as how the the life, the living force and the cosmic force feeding to each other through the midi-chlorians and all that. So in the end, I don't think it's <laughs> warranted the big of an uproar I got when this movie first came out. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I hate when people are like, oh, they just explained that, you know, the Force is supposed to be this mystical energy field, and now you're trying to just turn it into, like, science particles. It's like, no, the Force still is a mystical energy field that surrounds us and binds us, or it surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. Like, the midichlorians explain, I mean, it's kind of an explanation for why certain people can use the Force and why others can't. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's not really like a pressing question in the movie, but at the same time, I feel like if they left that part out, you could see that as kind of a plot hole. Like, in the original trilogy, it 
wasn't really a pressing question because it was all really just about Luke, right? And then there's, you know, you have mm. Obi-Wan and you have Yoda, but when you come back to the prequel era and there's so many Jedi, like, you could start to wonder, like, okay, well, what allows someone to become a Jedi? Like, can anyone just go and study at the temple? Or, like, how do you know if you're strong in the Force or not? Or, like, how do you use the Force? And so the midichlorians are an explanation of just, you know, it's just kind of a, a brief plugging of that plot hole i guess of like why certain people can use the force and why certain people can't and why anakin is uh you know viewed as this you know sort of prophetic uh you know chosen one who's you know going to bring balance to the force because his midichlorian count is so high um and I mean, I'm not saying that I like love the idea or that it couldn't be done differently, but yeah, like you said, Tim, like I've never had an issue with it. Um, it's just, you know, it, it doesn't lessen the mysticism of what the force actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The mini chlorians were something that I didn't really understand and really appreciate at the time, but now I, I'm totally sold about it. And that's definitely one of the most complaints I talk to regular people that are were fans of the original trilogy and then this movie turned them off like oh, chlorians, uh. and i'm just like dude it's not it again you also need to explain how powerful anakin is you need to explain the what make what yeah. makes him special and that i'll be honest what makes people special in is being you know a, the differences in people is missing again in the sequel trilogy because <laughs> again like you oh, those episodes need, are gonna be fun <laughs> Oh, I hope so. I mean, yeah. But anyway, but I mean, but in all seriousness, it's true. I, there, there really is a part missing. Like, what is significant about you know, what makes what makes Ray more powerful than, in, you know, or as powerful as whatever? I mean, or and in this case, an Anakin. Like, why is Anakin so special? It's because he's strong with the Force. Well, there's a living proof that he's as his his midichlorian count is as high is is higher than Master Yoda, the most powerful Jedi in the world or in the galaxy, excuse me. So you need to get the, or he's trying to tell the audience, listen, this dude's legit. Not just because you've saw episodes four through six, but because you need to understand in this movie, an isolated event, if this was your first movie, you understand that Anakin is, you know, a legit character and powerful and significant. So it makes a lot of sense. And especially when he flushes out through the Clone Wars, which is some of the best Star Wars ever, in my opinion, when Yoda goes and explores the cosmic force and all that, it's fantastic. So I, I, I like it. Even, I think it's brilliant now. So I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. I remember as we're in the, I was going to say the hidden Gungan city remembers in the episode the one game. City which was awful. This is one of the most awful levels in that game. <laughs> There's Keira Knightley. And, and here comes Padme. the big twist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I wonder how many people actually were surprised by this, even casual fans, because it's really pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, because we all knew Natalie Portman and the press, like going in for that, she was playing the queen. And so <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those things where, I wonder why Lucas decided to go that route to make it to have it where they're hiding her identity as both Padme and Queen Amidala. But I get it in this how it works in the galaxy and Naboo and how they do things, but just from his original concept of wanting to do this with Padme. But this, yeah, and by the way, this 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, like, it's not like a hugely significant, like, plot twist. You exactly. know, like, it's not like she turns out to be the villain or, like, this really changes the story in any way other than, like, oh, well, we thought she was the queen's handmaiden, but she's actually the queen and she's, you know, more diplomatic and sympathetic than, you know, her bodyguard who's just being a stiff kind of, but, like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I have a problem with it, but yeah, it's, yeah I mean, it, it doesn't. It, it's interesting. It's, yeah, it, it doesn't need to be like a huge shocking twist. This that, uh, this city, by the way, is really is really jamming. This this hidden city. It's got a lot going on for it. It's got some trees. It's got some, uh, you know, this little stone thing for if, <laughs> if it's a. What my point is, if it's a city, it should be a thriving, you know, some kind of city, not like a. You know, a hidden hideout. Well, That's did, what he, he, did he say it was a city? I thought he just said it was a you know, Gungren's go to secret place. I, yeah, I thought he said a hit, it's a it's a city, a hidden city. Isn't that what he says? Oh no, I I'm think no. That's city. what he says at the uh, beginning the about beginning. All right, all right, all right, all right. You're right. I I totally got these parts confused. You're I right. love I, I love Boss Nass in this scene though. He's fun. He's great. <laughs> Maybe we saw being friends. I love all those subtitles, which I have wanted to say loud blubbering. Or blubbering. <laughs> I also think the Viceroy characters, New Gunroy, uh, get a lot of uh, flack, too. I think they're actually they're, they're I like them. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't love them. The one thing that kind of bugs me about this movie is the the characters that people complain about. Like everybody complains about characters being like racial stereotypes. They're like. Oh, George Lucas is a racist because the, you know, Jar Jar is like a racist black caricature and the Neomoidians are racist Asian caricatures. And it's like, so you can't have alien races in space and have them like speak in anything other than a straight, you know, American English accent and, you know, be racist for it. Like, I don't know. I I never had an issue with any of that stuff. And especially, you know, some of those criticisms about Jar Jar. I'm like, he's just fun and goofy and there's no like racial stereotypes anywhere that I can see. I, I never got the Nimodians. The, the I never I don't I thought they just had an accent. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I never thought it was like it was it was like, you know, an, an Asian descent accent. I just thought it was a, a funny way of not funny, but like a different way of talking. So yeah, I know, but it wasn't until someone brought it up afterwards with both Jar Jar and the, and the Viceroy that I was like, I guess you could kind of see that, but I never, I don't think it's intentional. Like, oh, I'm going to do it because they have to be Asian. You know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of like, Hey, I want you to sound like this or the voice actor who, whoever did voice new gun Ray, he just wanted him to sound like that. Like he thought that that sounded good for it. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's like you said, like, it's like, oh, I'm going to do this because they're Asian characters, you know? No, it's, that's not, I don't think that was Lucas's intent yeah, for any of those characters, but you can believe what you want to believe. If you want to believe that it's, it's your, your business, not you, obviously Cal, but just people in general. Yeah. But we, us, obviously us here don't agree with that. This is probably another thing we talked about, you know, the fact that Jar Jar is not some warrior it is kind of a bummer here. We get this, you know, this potential great battle, and it is a good portion of it is dedicated to 
Jar Jar bumbling around with those, you know, bombas, whatever. Yeah, called. boomers. So, <laughs> boom, bomb, yeah, boom, boomers. Excuse me. There's 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 some moments where you see some Gungans doing some stuff, but I agree. Especially there was a shot that as we got closer to the movie's release and TV spots, and I think even in the Duel of Fates music video, where you just see the shot of the Gungan blowing his horn, you just see their army marching on the grasslands, just thinking, well, man, this is going to be an epic battle between these Gungans and droids, but we didn't really get too much of that. Unfortunately. But this this, this shot, shot right yeah. here is so memorable. Yeah, uh, I, heck, I even remember that shot from the first trailer. <laughs> uh, this, and this, this is from the first trailer that I never saw. I never saw this until the movie. Huh. Really? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it's that that first one, the first teaser. Yeah. Like I, I at least I don't remember it. I don't remember seeing it. Um, it's so yeah. It was only it was a second trailer, the actual trailer that I saw, the first footage of of episode one. It was just such a strange, but yet I think cool way to begin that trailer. That was the very first shot we saw of a new Star Wars movie, and it's this foggy setting of these new alien creatures that we know nothing about. Because you would think, because the next shot, I believe, is you see the Queen ship on Tatooine, which you would think that might be the first shot because it's showing you some familiar location in Tatooine. But nope, they decided to go with that one with the Gungans. And I love it for that, just for just how different it was. And just to get our first look at a new Star Wars movie to be something that we were totally unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More great sound design here. I love the sound of just you know, the cannons firing and that distinctive yeah. just kind of pinging sound that they make as they like yep. dissolve against the shields. I remember Panaka. seeing this. Go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead, Paul. I was going to say Panaka's little beep, 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 little light thing. Yeah, a little beeper. <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah, little beeper. Yeah, so go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's that shot of Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Padme, and Anakin. I remember seeing a screenshot of that for the movie, like, you know, that's the first time I think we saw all four of them together. <laughs> and pretty much that's one of the few shots of them where they're all together in the movie as well for being our main heroes and main characters. Yeah, that's true. Well, because Padme's usually off doing her queen thing. Yeah. And we're getting to that point with the other audio cue. I love this there battle scene. Yeah. They're yep. yeah. into the trailer or into the trailer into the hangar. Get to our shafts! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. It was movie. so good it, in the trailer, though. It's so much better in the trailer. Maybe that's it, part of it, is that maybe, like, George, it, I would have liked her even more in this movie if he would have left her original dialogue in. Yeah, because that overdub just does not match <laughs> what, yeah. how she's delivering the line right there. Just... Okay, but, but can we talk for a minute about how beautiful Naboo starfighters are. Yes, we should. They're, they're good. They're good. I mean, we talk, also, go ahead, uh, I was just going to say, I mean, again, going back to that, what makes us excited for new Star Wars movies, new cool designs like this, I mean, doesn't get more unique and different from X-Wings and TIE Fighters and Y-Wings that we were used to in the original trilogies and to Naboo fighters, but yet they look cool in their own right. It's just mm-hmm. so, such an awesome design. Ugh, stop making me depressed about the new movies. 
<laughs> Gosh, oh. I, I know we sound like we hate the sequel movies. We don't. We don't, and, hate, and, the, we don't hate the sequel trilogy. We don't. We yeah, really don't. no, definitely. You'll, um, they'll definitely hear us gushing once we get to those movies. Yeah, agree. Yeah. But you will, you'll, you'll but you will also hear me wishing that there were more new designs and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, But yeah, man, I, I, I always... I have loves too. Yeah, but I, I've always loved the design of those Naboo Starfighters. Just the the sleek look and the yellow combined with, you know, the chrome on the engines and stuff. Um, and the, you know, just the blue glow of those, the, like the rings around the engines and stuff, man, this makes me want to like go play some battlefront when we're done with this and fly around in one of those things. I have to say again, one of the, one of the main criticisms I have of, of what George, a couple of the mistakes he did was how he handled Anakin at the end of this movie with putting him in the Naboo starfighter to be honest, I kind of wish they would they would have just let him stay on Coruscant and they would have fought this battle without him. You see, I don't mind it. I think it's fine for the character. Even I know Lucas, it was funny, I was just going through the old making of book and just how Lucas was kind of torn about having Anakin do that. Would that be believable at such a young age, at nine years old? And even seeing the trailer, I kind of thought that, oh, that's kind of strange that he's flying that young. Maybe he's flying in a flight simulator. They're kind of gauging his powers or something, but... No, he's in the battle. And in the end of the day, I think it works with him, you know, being so strong with the force. And we obviously saw he could handle sure, a pod race. Sure. But my big criticism is just that space battle in general is just not great. It's just yeah. very forgettable. Unfortunately, yeah. Probably one of my bigger complaints with this movie is that too much going on for the final act here. I mean, just four things which will happen eventually. You got this battle, the space battle. Padme and Panaka trying to reach the Viceroy, and of course the lightsaber battle, which is obviously the best part. But mm-hmm. since he's cutting back and forth between four sequences, it kind of hurts the, even the good ones, where maybe they could have been even longer, maybe more better than what we got. Even though you know that lightsaber battle is the best, <laughs> but still, I always felt that one of those sequences could have been cut. Does he use a force trick right there? Stay in that cockpit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about cool entrances, man. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and cool music pieces. I mean, just (laughs) it doesn't get much more iconic than Duel of the Fates. I've I've gone on record in saying this, and I I think I'll say it again. I think the Phantom Menace is the best score of all the Star Wars films. Really, it it's in my top three. I think New Hope's probably still my favorite, but this is up there. I think we we talk about just how it sounds and how everything is just. You could tell John Williams just was pumped to do this movie. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like if that makes sense. Like I just feel like this movie had just his A game all around. Like even the little intricacies of everything just sounds great. And I feel like again he he kind of they're never never bad, but I think they kind of they don't they get. Not as good as the, as the trilogies go on. Uh, every film they get a little bit worse, and not worse, but they don't get. They're not as memorable. Yeah, I, and, I love the Revenge of the Sith score, but I felt Attack mm-hmm. of the Clones. He reused too many stuff. I would agree, and even in Revenge of the Sith, he reuses a lot of stuff too. But yes. the, but also the new stuff that's in there is really good. Yeah. It is, um, but this has the most original stuff, and it's just all great. But yeah, I think part. I think because it had been so long since Return of the Jedi, yeah. he had he had a lot of fresh new ideas, and then he kind of went into coasting mode a little bit for the next two. Now, again, not to to make it sound like I dislike those soundtracks, because I yeah, love yeah. the soundtracks to every Star Wars movie, and I honestly, I probably would personally prefer 
um, the soundtrack to Revenge of the so Sith cool, over man. this one. But um, yeah, I mean, Duel of the Fates is up there with the best pieces of Star Wars music and just the this lightsaber duel is fantastic. This, this is one of my favorite sequences of the lightsaber duel, just the way Obi-Wan goes after Maul. Maul does that twirl and Obi-Wan's just casually twirling his lightsaber as he's making his way to fight Maul. Just so cool. Mm-hmm. All these shots from the trailer, just the very first teaser, I just remember geeking out. I mean, the shot of Maul right here is—I think it was one of the last shots of the trailer. Just so cool. And then this oh, that shot of Obi Wan and Qui Gon with their lightsabers, just thinking, "Oh man, new Star Wars movies are coming with Jedi and lightsaber battles. This is going to be fantastic." Well, it, it, it's time to re- remind ourselves that the whole—we you know, talk about the expanded universe being like this kind of, uh, you know, separate thing that George was like, "It doesn't matter. Like stuff is crap." Yeah, you know, that's kind of what like you definitely felt that he thought about a lot. Like he kind oh. of mentioned in you know first separate, but he, he obviously liked things from it too. And the reason I bring it up is because the whole reason the double bladed lightsaber exists is because he saw in Tales of the Jedi. That's right. Uh, yeah. And said, "Oh, that's a great idea," and then he used it for Darth Maul. So oh, I didn't even realize that was in the comic. Yeah. So yeah. it's in, it's in it's in uh, Dark Lords of the Sith. Uh, issue four or five, I believe, and it's XR Kun, and it's a beautiful cover. It's XR Kun twir- twirling his uh, uh, his double double bladed lightsaber, which is blue, by the way, in the in the cover against his master. Uh, and uh, it's the art inside is not great, but the cover is fantastic. And uh, hmm. I bet you anything, George saw that cover and was like, "Wait a minute, the <laughs> genius, steal it." <laughs> And and I think he even he did give credit to he saw it in a comic in a Star Wars comic and I think he he had referenced that he didn't try to steal it for himself I believe he did give credit to the 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 artist in the in the expanded universe you know it would have been hard you know not because the Darth Maul's double bladed lightsaber is a big part of the marketing and the lead up to Episode One and how cool and different it's going to be. But part of me thinks how cool it would have been if they were able to keep that a secret. They didn't have it in any of the trailers. Oh, in the yeah, theater, man. Seeing them yeah, but for you the can't with time. marketing. Yeah. Marketing, everything. Yeah. He knew money-wise, his the money was going to be in Darth Maul merchandise and lightsabers. Yeah, and, and, and having that action figure out before the movie and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's like if, if money, if merchandising wasn't a big deal, you're absolutely right. He might yeah. have kept that a secret. But, but otherwise, because the first thing I went to on that midnight madness, I shouldn't say went to because I had the stuff put away from me because me and my brother were working at Toys R Us at the time. <laughs> we were going to get all the good <laughs> stuff. But that the toy of the devil bladed lightsaber, that was the thing I was most anticipating the most and wanted to make sure I got. Yeah. I got to say, you know, I'll bring up the sequel trilogy. You know, they brought up their own lightsaber and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'll give them credit there. We'll talk more about that later in the sequel trilogy, but for people who think I just hate on the sequel trilogy, <laughs> I'm going to say I love the double-bladed lightsaber when everyone wanted to hate on it. I loved it. Oh, no, double-bladed. I mean, when we get to the sequel trilogy, sure, we'll have some some complaints about it, but it's also going to be, you guys are going to get sick of how much me and Paul are gushing over Kylo Ren, so. Oh, Lord, <laughs> yeah, don't even get me started. I'll just start to, I am. And then Tim can gush about Phasma for the two minutes she's on screen. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta make those count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta make those count. Oh man! See, this yeah. is one of the instances where people go, "How come he just didn't use the four speed 
that he used in the beginning of the movie. Because but I always he already used it up on a video game, man. Come on, it's like that's what it's like. <laughs> His meter is depleted. You took yeah. the words out of my mouth right there. That's exactly how I I'm think. I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't mean no. to. <laughs> no, I'm glad that we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah but see, I I will agree, and and I don't personally have a huge issue with the four speed. I do think that. Like really, I, the my only complaint with it is that it is they just kind of use it conveniently to get out of that situation at the beginning of the movie, but then once it's established, like they never use it again. Yeah, and maybe another complaint or nitpick you can have is that Obi Wan maybe would have had a little bit of time to recharge right there, and then once the shield went down, he could have used it right there to catch up with Qui Gon, mm-hmm. but it might have took out of. Uh, his energy for the lightsaber battle. So maybe he had to save it all for that. There was an old YouTube video that I saw years ago, and this was way before, you know, prequel memes were a thing and all that kind of stuff. But somebody made a video edit of that scene where, you know, Obi-Wan has to wait behind the shield gate and then the shields all come down and he uses force speed and runs down that hallway and just (laughs) doesn't stop and falls down (laughs) the hole. (laughs) Uh, Sadly, this just might be my least favorite sequence in all of star wars i don't know it's pretty low but <laughs> this one just this is the one where i just shake my head a little bit <laughs> or just all the accidents that jar jar gets himself into but yet those accidents defeat <laughs> the trade federation of the droid army this goes back to the point that we we're talking about at the beginning where it just would have been nice if he actually meant to do some of the things that <laughs> he did to take out the droids yeah this this is definitely one of George's. He he went too far with the humor, and I, yeah. I feel I feel that if if Jar Jar would have been more of a warrior, then I think that there would have been there still would have been complaints about him, but I don't think they would have been as bad. I think this is what the straw that broke broke the camel's back yeah. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Honestly, was this sequence basically right here? Like they're all kind of annoyed with him at first. Like okay, he stepped in dog crap and he 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 got mad when a, when an alien farted by him and yeah it's all annoying but whatever but if if he would have redeemed himself in that scene i think it would have been people wouldn't have hated on him so much that this part to me was when people went okay this guy's annoying and stupid yeah, yeah or i mean i'm sure people were thinking that beforehand too but you're right i mean he could have maybe had a a sort of redeeming end to his story it would have been nice if he had kind of a bit of a character arc you know like if he had some development along the way or if he learned or kind of grew or evolved um this is and it kind of applies to this sequence right here too i think it would have been better if anakin meant to go in here and meant to destroy the droid control ship instead of going in there because he couldn't control it and accidentally shooting at the fuel tanks to blow it all up so just a bad sequence of events where accidents kind of outweigh the determination of certain characters at getting the job done. Yeah. But not here. Oh boy. <laughs> this is star Wars greatness right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is yeah. the, uh, of course the resuming of the lightsaber duel is Obi-Wan sprinting down the hall and Qui-Gon and Obi or Qui-Gon and Maul going at it. We're I not just, even commentating over it because we're just <laughs> taking it I know, all in. I know. It, it it really is a great moment, and you know you know it's coming. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, we're kind of waiting just with bated breath, like waiting to see Qui Gon's noble end. Well, yeah. what? But I'm yeah, but I'm saying like even if you didn't read the soundtrack back in the day, you, everyone knew he was gonna die. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like everyone. It's it's telegraphed. 
you saw it in the trailer with, with Obi-Wan going, no! If, if, if you don't put that in, you don't put Qui-Gon's Noble End in the in the in the soundtrack maybe people don't think it but to me it was so obvious i knew it was going to happen yeah. it, it just it just made more sense there had especially as the movie went movie went on and, and you realize that uh, obi-wan had to eventually take over the training for anakin so just knowing that alone and and also you do the classic well he didn't mention him in the original movie so <laughs> obviously you know what i mean so i mean it's it's one of those things so you knew he was going to end sooner or later and yeah. makes sense yeah i was gonna say i think it's a perfect time to give dave filoni's and the crew at star wars Rebels yes. some props right here with the final battle between obi-wan and maul but I just love how they did that callback where the move Maul used to kill Qui-Gon, that little bump he gives him, he tried to use again on Obi-Wan, but it didn't work. The fact that they called back to that, it, that blew me away when I first heard that. It, it's just so cool that they paid that much attention to the detail, and yet it, it works so beautifully in the narrative, too, that Maul would try that again for an older Obi-Wan, mm -hmm. the same way he used it against an older Jedi and Qui-Gon. It's so cool. Yeah, because it's... And I was almost a little iffy on it because I was like, well, why would he try that again? Like, wouldn't he think that because Obi-Wan has seen that before that he would like see it coming? But then you think like that's the hubris of the Sith that mm -hmm. because he's so bent on revenge and he would so much rather humiliate Obi-Wan. And he's like, oh, this will be fun. It'll be like poetic justice. Like, I'm going to kill yeah. you the same way I killed your master. And he's so you know, he, he's focused on like the selfish aspect of it. Like he, he's thinking about what he wants to do and full sort of fulfilling his own desires instead of thinking like, well, how is he going to react to that? And, you know, of course, Obi-Wan sees it coming and knowing Maul as well as he does knows like, Hey, he, you know, hates me and he's been so bent on revenge after all these years. Like what would be more perfect than for him to kill me the same way he killed Qui-Gon. So I'm going to bet on that. And he's right. And, you know, just sees right through it. And that is it was just the best lightsaber in all of battle in all of Star Wars. I still maintain that the Obi-Wan versus Maul fight. It doesn't get any, when you just talk about pure choreography and skills with the blade, it doesn't get better than that. Just the moves they were doing is so, so awesome, man. I mean, I remember people even saying, who didn't like it where you know i could sit through the whole movie again just to see that fight between obi-wan and darth maul it's that good and it still remains that great it's did it, so awesome did it bother anybody else that he you know maul kicked his lightsaber down that shaft and he still has the same lightsaber in episode two well he makes the, he's he's comfortable with the hilt and i think that's why I, yeah. I, I, i'm fine with it he, he, just, he just rebuilt the same one yeah. He just goes to Hugh Wang and goes, "Hey, you remember the blade, the hilt I made?" I was that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because he's comfortable with it. Uh, to be honest, I'd be the same way. If I lost one, I'd want it's if I'm comfortable with it. I mean, because it's like what everyone says, right? This weapon is your life. I mean, like, so he's got to like trust it, and he and he's comfortable with that same brand. But it, and to get back to this uh, lightsaber fight, one of the things that kind of <laughs> as I, the droid ship explodes. Yeah. One thing that I, I wanted to kind of come back to was the fact that maybe one thing that I realized with Obi-Wan is that he may not be the best swordsman, like meaning he he's more he's a, he's a smart. He's he's not a good. He's not the best swordsman because mm -hmm. he loses the mall. He loses the Dooku. And the reason why he's able to stand up against Anakin is because he knows there's every move because he's trained him. Mm -hmm. But he's not the best swordsman, but he's not dumb. And he's he outsmarts mm -hmm. people. And 
he's a, he's more of a, more of a powerful Jedi in that sense, where he's probably more powerful than the Force than a lot of other Jedi. But he's just not the best swordsman. Like there's always different talents for different people. I've always liked that idea yeah. in in Jedi. There's certain they have certain strengths, and sabering is not his strength. Yeah. And, well, and I also love the. I mean, if you read the novelization of Revenge of the Sith, and I don't know if that's still considered canon, but I mean, with a lot of the stuff in the old EU, there was they got into a lot of detail about like the f- different forms of lightsaber combat, and Obi Wan right. was supposedly like a master of the form three Sorisu, which was like the defensive style, and so he's mm-hmm. not going to overpower anybody, or. Um, you know, just tricky or have all these acrobatic moves or anything. Basically, the whole point of that form is to just stay on the defensive and wait for your opponent to make a mistake. And you see, I mean, that's exactly what he does with Anakin at the end of of uh, Revenge of the Sith. And that's Darth kind Maul. Of, yeah, that's kind of what he does here with Maul. I mean, it's not necessarily a Maul doesn't really make a mistake while fighting. It's more that he just like lets his pride get the best of him. Um but still, it's like when Obi-Wan is seemingly down, like he's able to turn that situation around by, you know, keeping his wits about him and not giving up while Maul is kind of letting his guard down and gloating over his victory. So, um, and kind of what you were saying, Paul, about Obi-Wan, you know, not being the greatest swordsman, but just in general, I always like that's why he was one of my favorite characters. And a lot of this is legends now, but I just like how he was never a Jedi who was expected to, you know, be one of the greats. Because exactly in yes. Legends, it took him forever to be get uh, to get a master, and Qui Gon kind of took him at the last minute. Yeah, um, and then he just went on to do great things and become the greatest Jedi, despite of all like these low expectations. That's just why I love his character so much. He's very much a undrafted free agent that comes <laughs> in and <laughs> I was going to say he's like famer. Tom Brady getting drafted in the what, oh, sixth he, round or whatever. He had to bring up, yeah. <laughs> Had to bring up Tom Brady. Anyway, moving on from from your favorite football team, but yeah, that's exactly what he's like. He he's an undrafted free agent, and he comes in and he and he becomes all time great. And, yep. he, and those are those are great stories, and 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 they happen in real life. So I think you see that that happens where people are just not this person's not going to be that great, and they be and they out they just prove everyone wrong. And and Anakin has that in him, and or excuse me, uh, Obi Wan has that in him, and it's great. And I think it adds to his uh, amazing character arc in in the saga. It's kind of a it's a more of an understated part of his character arc, but it's a mm-hmm. it's a one for if you're if like Obi Wan's one of my favorite characters, and I think he's one of our he's one of all of our three of us favorite characters. And you know, I think that that just adds to his uh, awesomeness of of a being a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this I was- mean, I love Obi Wan in this movie, but I I think he just gets better throughout the prequel trilogy. Like this is probably my, yeah. this is like my least favorite Obi-Wan, my least favorite version of Obi-Wan out of the, the prequel trilogy. And I mean, I, I still like him in this movie. So, um, man, I just have to say, I can't wait till we get to revenge of the Sith. We're going to have so oh, much same. That one. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm probably, gonna, I'm probably not going to barely talk in that one. And I was watch it. <laughs> it's my, it's one of my all time favorites, man. Mm-hmm. And just I remember seeing it for the first time and the way Obi-Wan became Anakin's master was something that I wasn't expecting that it was pretty much just fulfilling the dying wish of his master. And I wouldn't say something that I had to get used to right away, but it took me by surprise that that's how their relationship as master and apprentice began was because of that. Yeah. 
No, and I love this scene here as, you know, they're watching Qui-Gon's body burn and everybody's talking about um, well, the music, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, the music in this scene is so great. Um, and just this conversation between Mace Windu and Yoda about the Sith and wait, which one was destroyed, the Master or the Apprentice. And the way that it just focuses on Palpatine is and that, that slow pan as, you know, he comes into the yeah. foreground just perfectly done. Because to be honest, there was a part of me in the lead up to episode one is thinking, okay, we're seeing Palpatine as a senator, but yet we're seeing Darth Sidious. Is Lucas going to do something where they're not the same person? Like, is he going to pull some twist here that are going to, you know, change certain things? But once they got to that shot, it's like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, my dumb eight year old self didn't quite catch on to that yet. (laughs) And what's cool, I mean, this is not my favorite ending musical piece to a star wars movie but the fact that it's pretty much palpatine's theme played in another you know at a, a major key yeah. oh that it's, yeah it's so cool brilliant i remember once i found that out i was my mind was blown i think it was at celebration when we went to that panel where they uh it was um was it david collins who was doing that yeah and, and talking yeah. about the uh like kind of the secrets of the star Wars music and stuff. I think that might've been the first time I heard that um, where he mentioned that, um, you know, it's just Palpatine's theme in a, a shifted key. And it's like, you know, when everyone thinks that it's their victory, it's really just sort of the first yeah. step in his grand plan. And with a child qu- choir doing the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the vocals of art. Yeah. It's just so, crazy. it's like so joyful, but so eerie at the same time. Yeah. And you know that. Well, that's it. That man. was fun, man. That, that, that was, was fun. fun and it flew by, man. Yeah, <laughs> it really it did. That did not well, feel like two and a half hours. Well, I'll, I'll just uh, we're in the credits now. So I'll, I guess I'll, I'll go first with my kind of closing thoughts for the movie. while my dog is begging for me to take her out. Uh, it, here's the deal with with the Phantom Menace. And I've said it. I'll, I'll keep saying it throughout the um, this movie is it's it really holds up. And I think it's gotten better for me as as I've as I've watched this movie. Um, I used to this used to be my least favorite Star Wars movie for years, and I just I've grown to really like this movie a lot. And maybe it's because I love uh, Obi Wan Kenobi more and more because of the Clone Wars. And I think that definitely has something to do with it. But to be honest, I just I just think this movie just for some reason it just clicked with me as I got older. I don't have kids yet, but it's something that I, I really, really just feel that is a it, it's a really good it's a it's a better movie than people give it credit to because when you don't put those expectations on it, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's not bad. And like I said, it holds up pretty well. Um, I, I saw this movie a ton. I was conflicted about it for a long time, and it's just it's nice to see it and and watch it and go man it's to me it's 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 a perfect opening to the the Star Wars saga yeah. and I'm mm-hmm. I'm really excited to um I'm really excited to do this keep doing these commentaries I think this was I had such a great time with this we're going to we're really going to have a great time analyzing everything and talking about stuff and yeah I I think the Phantom Menace is it's not my least favorite Star Wars movie movie anymore and as the sequel trilogy goes on we'll see where it, where it ends up but I right now I I still have it like you know, it's lower, but it's not as low as it used to be. I think this movie's great. So, yeah. No, yeah, I, I think, think. Oh, go ahead, Tim. I was going to say, 
you said the word that I was thinking of. It's to me the perfect episode one for the Star Wars saga as far as story wise goes. And that's always been my takeaway from the movie. Cause even when I saw it for the first time, I left the theater, you know, liking a lot of it, but you know, just also that feeling where I don't know what to think about it. Cause it was, you know, the first Star Wars movie. I actually the very first new Star Wars movie I got to see in a theater, which was an experience just all in itself. So, but every time I, I saw it a bunch of times too, like you, Paul, but I understand the criticisms, some of the complaints they've had. And like you said, it's not perfect. There's stuff that I mentioned on the commentary that still kind of annoy me, but you cannot deny the story that was laid down in this movie that kicked off to, in my opinion, the greatest fictional story ever. And it begins here in a really great way with establishing um, some new characters and the younger versions of characters we're familiar, familiar with, but giving them some great origin stories in the case with Anakin, like I was talking about with him coming up as a slave and being freed from that and starting his journey as a Jedi and seeing the manipulation of Palpatine. And even though I didn't appreciate it like I do now, as far as how brilliant Palpatine's scheme was here in The Phantom Menace and all the seeds he was planning to bring about the destruction of the Jedi and the bring about the Empire, it just makes me love it that much more. And I just appreciate so much stuff about The Phantom Menace than I did even when I first saw it. But to me, it just always, when I look back at it, just being a great kickoff to the Star Wars saga and just laying the foundation for the stories that are coming in the eight next episodes that we're going to see. So, yeah, I still have fond memories of this movie, seeing it for the first time. And I agree, it still holds up, minus a few sequences here and there. But um, I never really was one of those people who, you know, viewed it as, you know, the black sheep of the Star Wars movies, and when, especially when it was first coming out, but even more so now. I just I think it's had its place in the saga, and it happens to be the beginning, but, or I should say it happens to be in the beginning of the saga, but yet it fits really well there. And yeah, it's going to be fun starting with episode one and watching all those subsequent movies to follow. But yeah, I'll always love the movie, even though it's probably not super high in my rankings, even though I've said before how <laughs> I haven't done rankings in a long time for the movies with since episode seven and it's probably going to be kind of hard for me to rank them, but I'm probably going to have to once nine comes out. But uh, just because I love the other ones so much, episode one probably just gets kind of pushed lower by some of the other films. So, but man, I can't wait for our next commentary for episode two, because <laughs> you guys know my feelings on that movie. And I can't wait to talk about that. So yeah, but episode one was just a great kickoff point. And yeah, this was a blast to do with you guys. Yeah, this was a whole lot of fun. Um, and I'm definitely looking forward to the rest of them. I will warn you guys now, once we get once we get all the way through eight and then we go see nine, we have to do a definitive ranking list. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like a whole episode where we just rank the Star Wars saga. Um, I shouldn't say a definitive list because your list can change over time. Mine still sure. does. Um, in fact, I said at the beginning that my my least favorite Star Wars – I said that uh, The Phantom Menace was my least favorite Star Wars movie, but it does flip-flop sometimes. Um, and, I mean, after watching it this time, I really enjoyed this. Sometimes I watch this movie and I don't enjoy it as much. And I've noticed that mm. sometimes it can depend on, like, my intentions with watching the movie. For example, if I'm just bored and I feel like watching a Star Wars movie and I'm like, let me watch episode one because I haven't watched the pod race in a long time. That'll be cool. Or I'll watch the Darth Maul fight. And if I'm watching it just for that, the rest of the movie bores me. But if I'm watching mm. it just for the sake of, like, enjoying the movie as a whole and kind of revisiting the story... um, 
then I usually end up being like, you know what, this is better than I remember it being, or, you know, I just, I enjoy watching it and have a fun time with it. Um, and that was definitely the case here. And I think obviously it's partially because I get to watch it with you guys um, and doing the commentary was really fun, but it was kind of refreshing to, uh, you know, watch this again when I haven't watched it in a while and um, just get to enjoy it again. I, again, I absolutely loved this movie when it first came out when I was a kid. And I think because of that, it'll always have a special place in my heart. Um, you know, I can never hate Jar Jar or hate Anakin because I looked up to them so much as a kid and enjoyed them so much. Um, and stuff like the pod race and the Darth Maul stuff, you know, still holds up now. And then there's stuff like, uh, the Senate scenes with Palpatine and stuff that, you know, I may not have really enjoyed or appreciated as a kid that now I appreciate more because I realize what's going on in the grand scheme of things. And, um, you know, just sort of those subtle details and stuff that you pick up on as you, uh, get older and kind of get more engrossed in the Star Wars saga and what's going on. So, um, yeah, this was really fun to get to dive into it. And, uh, you know, I, I still enjoy this movie a lot. I'm glad that, you know, we all are kind of on the same page of, you know, enjoying the prequels and appreciating them. Um, and, uh, you know, just getting to pick out the good in here and still, you know, criticize the bad stuff. I mean, we talked about the, the performances and some of the weaker points of this movie, but, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I'm kind of surprised how well this still holds up, um, especially technically, but, um, even just in terms of the story and stuff like, yeah, it has its weak points, but, um, I think it's still a perfectly enjoyable movie. And, uh, you know, like you were saying Tim, a good starting point to the saga. I mean, it really only gets better from here. Um, and this is still, yeah. you know, a, a good point to start from. So, um, yeah, it was a great time going through this. I enjoyed it a lot and uh, cannot wait to uh, keep going and do more of these with you guys. Right on. Yep, definitely. Um, and the best part is it all ends with episode nine coming. <laughs> Hopefully if our schedules light up where we do episode eight, we will write it to episode nine. It's going to be a blast. And I'll probably make the time go by a little quicker as we <laughs> wait the release for nine. But I'm so glad we decided to wait to do commentaries for episode nine being the final chapter of the Skywalker saga, instead of doing them for seven or eight, it just, it feels right doing them now as we get to the final chapter. So it's going to be a blast. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well hope all of you guys enjoyed, uh, listening along with us. Um, and, uh, can't wait to have you along for the ride as we continue all the way through the saga. Um, I guess since we're doing, uh, you know, just kind of these special commentary episodes, I don't know if we're going to necessarily do, um, you know, read listener responses and stuff like that at the end of these episodes, especially because these are going to be paced a little bit differently. Like we're probably going to record at least one more of these like this weekend, but then we're going to be spacing out when we release them. So um, we'll kind of save our usual uh, ending stuff for uh, our regular episodes, but um, we will uh, be back with, you know, another regular episode sometime soon when we get some more Star Wars news to talk about, and we will keep these commentary episodes coming uh, throughout the year as well in the build-up to episode nine. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you next time, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Cut! Speed! Rebel!